When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hopefully you have survived your post-Super Bowl. By now you've had a few hours to console yourself over your losing team, to celebrate your winning team, to um, count your gambling winnings, or to find out a way to pay off your gambling debts. Hopefully whatever you did for the big game, it was fun. I have been told, and I hope Matt Blaze didn't bleep me when I just referred to the Super Bowl, I have been told by our owner... John Katsimatidis, and uh, we covered this Sunday morning on the Cats Roundtable. If you're not listening to the Cats Roundtable, you certainly should be. Every Sunday morning from 8 to 10, that we can use the word Super Bowl as long as we're not making any money off of it. So I can say Super Bowl and refer to what happened at the Super Bowl as long as I don't try to sell a segment or we don't try to have a sponsored segment that says Frank's Super Bowl Minute. So I can talk about the Super Bowl. We don't have to bleep. Um, my commentary of Super Bowl. That's that's cool, right? All right. That's, you were that's, that's the word from the the owner, the boss. Uh, that's all we need. That's it. So um, it it was interesting though. People were very panicked last week. Did you see Chad was in here during my interview with Michael Smirconish calling? People were going for, crazy. They though. were. They were. Uh, hey, I am thrilled to be here. And uh, if you are going crazy, then you are in luck because coming up at four thirty, uh, Keith Ablo, Doctor Keith Ablo. A uh, world-renowned psychiatrist, best-selling author. He's done a lot of other things, uh, positive and negative. We'll get into it. He's going to be here at 4 o'clock. He's going to talk to us about why everybody it seems to be killing themselves these days. I don't mean to be flippant, but uh, suicide is a real problem, as we saw last week with uh, Jeremy Giambi and uh, as we've seen with a lot of other celebrities that look like they're on top of the world and clearly are not. We're going to get into that as well as some mental health coping strategies. But. Uh, As we've been doing frequently, we have assembled yet another midnight panel. We have a panel of two today because one person that I mistakenly thought was booked for today is actually booked for next week. But it's better off because it allows for the three of us to have more time to talk. Let me first welcome in studio a longtime friend of mine, a former professor of mine at New York University. He happens to be a professor of architecture and comedy and a travel expert who created the Been There, Haven't Done That tour and lecture series, the one and only Barry Goldsmith. Barry, how are you doing? Fine, thank you. How are you doing, Frankie? I'm, you you look up awfully dapper for 1 o'clock in the morning on a holiday weekend, I'll tell you. Well, all I can tell you is if it weren't your, your show, um, uh, I wouldn't be dressed like this. What would you be dressed like? 
I'd be a, sh- a, sh- a schlub. <laughs> a schlub. Well, a schlub. Uh, hey, uh, I, because it is my show, I am dressed like a schlub. And uh, we are also joined um, by the one and only award-winning multimedia personality, Guinness World Record holder, and author of the book, 20 Things Every Motivated 20-Something Should Know, The my good friend uh, and former colleague, Pavlina Asta. Hello, Pavlina. Hi, Frank. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Now, uh, Pavlina, we were a little bummed that you're not in studio. You are actually doing what they call here at the radio station these days a full Barry Goldsmith. Now, uh, to give people (laughs) some context about that, Barry was part of a travel panel that we did about six or seven months ago. And he thought I was joking when I asked him to come in studio. You evidently also thought I was joking when I booked you to come in studio today. You know, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was not expecting to go in studio when you first asked me to come on. So when you said, like, when you said the location, I was like, I am actually on my way to Florida. Um, so I'm not going to be able to make it. And right. I think it's crazy because I, I'm so thankful that you asked me to come on. I'm really excited to, you know, to talk to you guys. Um, I just moved out of New York City, so well, I was like, "This is this is like perfect timing." Well, I, yeah, I, I, I want to ask you about that. So you're done with New York. You've bid farewell, like so many New Yorkers. You've done the full uh, hop, skip, and a jump to Florida. Well, I'm actually going to Michigan. So mm. I got a new uh, job as a TV news anchor, um, mm. evening news. So I'm very excited about it. But it's in Michigan, and as of right now, I am saying goodbye to New York City. I have to keep reminding myself that the city's not going anywhere and then I can always go back, you know, because it was a very emotional, like I was there, you know, like a lot of us, of course, that I stayed all of 2020, all of COVID. Um, So I think mostly because of that, I really needed a break from the city. Um, And plus, you know, career moves and everything, but yes. (laughs) Well, congratulations on that new, uh, that new opportunity in Michigan. It sounds, it sounds terrific. So uh, every week though, it seems like I meet a different person that says they're moving out of New York to go to Florida. uh, Just last (laughs) night at the Super Bowl party uh, that I hosted, there were two or three people that said, Oh, I can't wait to move out of New York to move to Florida. That's not you. You're not moving because you're fed up with New York. Uh, You're moving because you had a job opportunity elsewhere. Correct. And I mean, my family is from Florida, so I was born and raised here. I'm just having a a week in between, you know, actually going to my like my new apartment and getting everything set up. So. So, yeah, we're just sort of in that in between phase. But I have so many New Yorker friends that ended up moving to Miami, to Orlando. So I feel like I have half of my like New York community now in my home mm. state. Yeah, so I'm does, like, it does seem that way. Barry, you yeah. are something of a, a travel expert. You always, we've always seen a lot of New Yorkers and New Jerseyans move to Florida, but uh, now it seems to me it's more than ever. Is that just my perception because of the pandemic or from where you're standing or sitting in this case, do you actually think there are more New Yorkers and New Jerseyans moving to Florida? Well, all I can tell you is that uh, I used to say that um, I would go to Florida. Well, anyway, uh, Florida to me is a place that you visit when you're a kid to Orlando or when you're my age to retire, not uh, not Pavlina's age. <laughs> now, it's interesting that you bring up the generational divide between the two of you. Right. You are safely in the baby boomer category, right, Barry? Uh, f- formerly baby boomer, now baby doomer. 
We're, we're the next to go. We're the next to go. We're on the edge. Now, and, and it's not suicide necessarily. It's just natural. Uh, Pavlina, as I mentioned, you are the author of the book, 20 Things Every Motivated 20-something Should Know. Yes. Are you millennial or are you Gen Z? I'm a Gen Z, but I'm on the older side of the Gen Z. I'm like the first few years. I see. So, so it's like yes. um, when your birthday is, you know, on the 21st, you sort of have traits of both astrological signs. Right. You know? So you have <laughs> traits of Gen Z and traits of, of millennial. And even more so because I have two older siblings who are very much millennials. So, you know, I, I watch them. I learn a little bit from them. So I definitely saw it. It's funny because there's four of us in my family. So my two millennial siblings versus the two Gen Z siblings, there are some stark differences, which I always think is really funny. Well, well but, some, um, something tells me that uh, the generational uh, divide between you and Barry is going to provide for some very interesting discussions over the course definitely. of the next uh, 40 minutes or so. I, I have to tell uh, Pavlina. Uh, yes. I have to tell you that. Um, I liked your book so much, I bought three, which is apropos for my age, just past 60. See? <laughs> 20 oh my and 20 gosh, and 20. <laughs> and, in fact, I, I, I think I once. Uh, uh, about three or four years ago on the ship from 970 a.m., uh, you asked me about some trip you were taking for you, you and your mom, and I gave you travel advice then, if I recall correctly. Yes, you did. Oh, my gosh. Where were we going? It was either um, London or Iceland. I'm not sure uh, if you oh, remember. Oh, I think it was London. It definitely wasn't Florida think... or Michigan <laughs> oh, yeah. or Michigan. Oh, by the way, when you go to Michigan, uh, where where are you going to live in Michigan? So you're going to laugh because it's hilarious. It's I feel like it's basically Canada. Um, I'm going to Marquette, Michigan, which is in the Upper Peninsula. Oh, okay. Uh, something I couldn't understand since I was a kid, okay? There's uh-huh. Upper Peninsula, Peninsula, Michigan, and Lower Peninsula, Peninsula Michigan. Why aren't just two different states? Hello? Um, that's a I know. Question. You know what? They're not even connected. Like, if you right. look at it, Michiganders are very proud of, like, or I guess, describing where they're from right they have the lower mitt which like they always use their hand and like the up the upper peninsula i guess is like a scarf or something it's closer to like wisconsin what is that state wisconsin Wisconsin. Wisconsin. okay i that's the first thing they're gonna ask you when you're on tv there pavlina is what you're next to and and whatever i know i'm really gonna have to learn like the midwest and all of these states i'm so used to like east coast west coast you know the mid the Midwest is uh is important, but um, yeah. So there, you're right. I'm surprised it's not you know its own state. I'll have to I'll have to look into it because they're not really that, that close together. And for God's sakes, when you get there, can you please unlock the gate so those truckers can go from Canada into <laughs> Michigan at long last, please? <laughs> Absolutely, I will do my best, Barry. I you know. I, I will do what I can, okay, uh, for the people. <laughs> all right. Well, today is Valentine's Day. Now, uh, Barry, you're divorced, right? Am I correct? Um, yes. Yeah, and uh, Pavlina, you are not yet divorced. Is that accurate? <laughs> that is correct. And I, hope, I'm never hopefully, married. <laughs> hopefully never. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, no, married, you. yes, but not divorced. Okay. All right. So yes. we, we get to cover a lot of ground um, uh, generationally between the two of you. Now, ba- Valentine's Day is always one of those holidays where – I feel like no one's having a good time. The people in the relationships aren't having a good time because there's so much pressure to uh, to do something uh, grandiose and impressive on Valentine's Day for your partner, whether it's gifts, whether it's chocolate, whether it's flowers. And then the people who are not in relationships 
are not having a good time because they feel like everyone else is it's, it's a it's a very pro couple holiday. There's not a lot right. of people embracing singlehood on Valentine's Day. At least that seems to be the case in the past. Pavlina, if people are listening to us uh, in either category, if they're in a couple, if they're a, co- a committed relationship, or if they're uh, if they're lonely, if they're single this particular Valentine's Day, what advice might you have for for either of those categories? Absolutely. I mean, I it's so funny. Growing up, I never liked Valentine's Day. I always just thought it was sort of a like, okay, ew, this is not really for me. I don't know what to do. But now that I'm older, I sort of see Valentine's Day more. If you're single, that's a self-love date, baby. Okay, that is like, it is time to break out the face masks and the bubble bath and like whatever you like to do for your self-care day. I see it as, you know, if you're single, have you have yourself a day. Even if you're in a relationship, you know, there's certain things that you guys can do together, but then also sort of acknowledge that self-love. Um, aspect of it uh but as far as like being in a relationship there is always so much pressure to really impress the person to get them everything and to i think it's just so important to keep it simple and uh you know hone in on the things that your your partner you know loves or whatever and just like it's it's all about you know loving each other or you know in, in singles case self love right so um my advice is just keep it simple and and make sure it's about more of like the love instead of the things that you buy them. Mm. You know what I mean? Barry, anything you would add or subtract to what Pavlina just said? What Pavlina said, I think in a way is true. It's got to be self-love. I'm not seeing anyone right now. So for self-love, what I do is every Valentine's Day, I buy myself a new mirror. And as I get older, I, and you know how, how actresses, sometimes older actresses, put Vaseline on the lens? Well, I put more and more Vaseline on my mirror every Valentine's Day. And I keep on looking the same. I mean, I'm, I'm so <laughs> delighted. And uh, in terms of uh, in terms of Valentine's Day this year, there are a lot of people that are getting flowers, chocolates, or just going out to dinner with their partner but this year, we're seeing a very real, and we're going to talk about this throughout the program, a very real problem with inflation in that everything costs more than it used to. Barry, what kind of a struggle, I mean, how, how do you think inflation is going to be affecting people's Valentine's Day plans this year? I mean, can you really tell um, your your wife or your girlfriend, well, you know, honey, uh, the dollar lost uh, 30% of its value in the last two years. I don't really think we can go out to the kind of elaborate dinner that you're accustomed to. Well, I, I know there's cryptocurrency now and Bitcoin. Well, I can tell you that inflation has even bit into Bitcoin. I mean, it, it takes out a, a quite a big chunk everywhere. So there's also, if inflation goes up like 7% a year or 7% a month, I just buy 7% less, so I'm not affected by inflation. Uh, what about what, what are you hearing, Pavlina, about inflation and how it's affecting Valentine's Day this year? Yeah, I thought this was so interesting, uh, you know, because it's not really something that you think about for Valentine's Day. It's like, oh, like, let's talk about inflation. But, you know, it, it's been affecting, like, the packaging that they're, uh, they're doing for, like, chocolates or whatever or the flowers. I mean, like I said before, instead of what you're what you're buying, you know, or what you're the material things like as long as it's about the love, you know, I think you're I think you're set. (laughs) But the flowers are are important. So 
invest in those. <laughs> uh, that, that's uh, probably pretty good advice. Gary, uh, Barry, since you do have some travel expertise, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Pavlina Osta. She is a television anchor and the author of the book, 20 Things Every Motivated 20-something Should Know, and Barry Goldsmith, who is a professor of architecture and comedy and the founder of the Been There, Haven't Done That tour, lecture series, podcast, and so forth. Uh, Barry, since it is Valentine's Day and you have something of a, a travel background or an expertise in travel, uh, there are a lot of unknown romantic destinations where you can really be alone with your loved ones. You are the master of telling people about the travel destinations that they may not read about in the tour book and the guidebook. Any specific uh, travel locations, whether it's a nearby trip that people could drive to today or whether it's something that they could gift their partner for a long-term trip, any romantic, super romantic spots that you would recommend to folks? Well, it depends on what city. Every city has them. Uh, I, for instance, when I was when I was uh, younger, and uh, my my then wife and I were going to Columbia Graduate School of Architecture, we went on Valentine's Day to Butler Hall. Butler Hall is uh, the swanky restaurant on the Columbia campus, and it's on top of one of the buildings there. And I like whether it's an expensive restaurant or a cheap restaurant, one with a great view. When you go up at night and you can see the stars and the moon. And and not the person sitting at the next table. I think that's romantic wherever you are. I mean, Paris, for instance, you don't have to go to Tour d'Argent, which is $300 a dinner. You can go to Gallery Lafayette uh, Cafeteria, which is on the roof, or under a beautiful Art Nouveau dome at the other department store, Printemps. So you can find places that are romantic and in addition, when you're sitting in front of a, a, a high restaurant with a view, rooftop, there's nobody in front of you. So you feel as if you're together with her or with him or with it or with they, uh, whatever's woke these days. Uh, Pavlina, whether it's Florida, New York, Michigan or Iceland, London, any, <laughs> any spot that you've been to that you find particularly romantic – or uh, are there any criteria that make a spot romantic for uh, a, a couple that's looking to, you know, I don't know, do something special? I mean, I think it depends on the couple. I, I mean, I have had some very nice Valentine's Day dinners in New York City. Um, I sort of like the classic dinner. You know, it's like, oh, he picks you up, you get your flowers, you go to dinner, like I think all those are really cute, Delmonico's or wherever, you know, you like to go. Um, I think I did one at Capitol Grill, too, which is also just sort of classic, right? But as far as, like, you know, I would be fun. I would be, I would like hiking if you're, like, if you have the ability to do that, you know, if you're, like, in Arizona or something. Like, a little hike on Valentine's Day I think would be cute. You know, I think it depends on the couple. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I've told my ex-wife uh, on Valentine's Day, the last uh, Valentine's Day uh, we were together, I told her to take a hike. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so I agree with you, Pavlina, definitely. If That's you, hilarious, If, if, oh if any of the lovelorn out there have uh, questions, we have three people who are far from experts. Although I must say I am the only one out of the three of us that is currently married. Although, uh, again, a, a I, wonderful woman, I, I must add. I haven't, yes. I haven't checked my phone in <laughs> at least.
least two hours, so uh, perhaps that's changed. If you have questions for Barry Goldsmith or Pavlina Asta, you can give us a call, 800-848-9222. We'll talk a little bit about the Super Bowl in a minute, some more Valentine's Day stuff, and a whole host of other issues. And believe it or not, both Barry and Pavlina have an interesting connection with the Guinness Book of World Records. I'll tell you about that and a host of other issues. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Pavlina Asta is here. Barry Goldsmith is here. Coming up, we'll talk with Dr. Keith Abloh. we got commendations coming up and a whole lot more. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. You're hearing things. You're hearing things. On 77. My funny Valentine, sweet comic Valentine, you make me smile with my heart. Your looks are laughable, unphotographable. The great Frank Sinatra singing My Funny Valentine. Uh, We are just a few hours removed from uh, Joe Piscopo's terrific Ramsey Mazda Sundays with Sinatra show. If you uh, have not gotten a chance to sample it, usually I listen on my way in tonight or last night. I got in a little later because I uh, was waiting to see the end of the, uh, the football game. But it's a terrific show. If you're a Sinatra fan or a Joe Piscopo fan, you've got to be listening every Sunday night from... Six until nine. It's between a couple of the shifts that Curtis is generally doing on Sunday. It is a fine, fine show. Meanwhile, uh, we are joined by two fine individuals, uh, Pavlina Asta, an award-winning multimedia personality, Guinness World Record holder, and author of the book, 20 Things Every Motivated 20-Something Should Know, and Barry Goldsmith. He's worn many hats over the years, uh, and it's amazing that he is able to keep his hair so well quaffed with all the hats (laughs) that he's worn. He's uh, been a comedy writer for a lot of great shows, including the Joan Rivers Show. He's been a professor of architecture and comedy. He also happens to be a travel expert who created the Been There, Haven't Done That tour and lecture series. Uh, Barry, you were telling me during the commercial, you had a tough time with with COVID recently, didn't you? Yes, I did. Um... Well, all I can tell you is that people have said I'm a hypochondriac, right? So having gotten COVID proves I'm not a hypochondriac. So be be careful. Wear, wear, wear a mask, especially. See, uh, that's one thing. I'm over 60. So to me, when I wear a mask, people automatically think I'm younger than I am. <laughs> so that's why everyone over 60 should wear a mask. Did you get COVID after you were vaccinated? Yes, I did. And you were fully vaccinated. Yes, I did. And I, the the irony is I went to I went to to France in November, no problems. Uh, uh absolutely wonderful. They were very very careful the French. I came back and I wear a mask all the time. I'm very careful. I carry um sanitizer with me. I use it in on my hands. Sometimes when I see a beautiful woman, I use it on my head for dirty thoughts. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm very careful. Pavlina, what was your story? Did you get COVID at all? 
You know, I, like I said, I was in New York this entire time, like during the whole COVID situation and I was fine. And then right before uh, the holidays, like, you know, Christmas time, I went to, I think a restaurant with some friends and I must've gotten it there. And I was also fully vaccinated, everything. And I was just like, really? Like, this is the one time I get it. And I, I, I know it was Omicron or whatever, but it it wasn't great. I didn't love it, you know, but I had a friend who, who wasn't back, like, uh, you know, vaccinated and she is about the same age as me and got it really, really bad. Yes. So yeah, that's... I'm very thankful that I didn't get it that bad, but yeah, I did end up getting it around Christmas time. We had a socially distanced Christmas. It was, it was a lot of fun I can <laughs> and imagine. thankfully no one in my family got it. So I was able to contain it. <laughs> you know, when I tell people I, I got Omicron, you know what it sounds like to me? It's like a, an automobile company introducing our new electric vehicle, the Omicron. It does sound very yes. futuristic. It is. Like it a does. transformer it's sophisticated. or something. It does. It's, yes. yes. Uh, hey, uh, Pavlina, what did you I, – I don't know how big of a uh, sports fan you are, but the Super Bowl is one of those occasions. It really doesn't matter if you're a sports fan. It's all about the event, the party, the halftime show, the media event. What did you end up doing for the uh, Super Bowl yesterday? Well, I was I was traveling and finishing up the last touches of my packing and moving and and all of that stuff. And but I'll tell you, I do not care about sports. I've never really cared about sports. And even though the Super Bowl is like an event kind of day and like people that don't really care about sports, like pretend to care. I don't even pretend to care. I really don't. So you had no interest. You didn't participate. You didn't watch it. You didn't do anything. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I woke up and I think I saw like an. Uh, you know, who won on my, you know, list of news notifications that I got. And I was like, I didn't even know who was playing. So. <laughs> so it didn't affect you one way or another. Uh, no, never does. Uh, I like to see like the highlight reels the next morning. And that's all I really need. <laughs> uh, Barry, something tells me you weren't at your local neighborhood tavern loudly cheering on the Bengals or the Rams. No, what I, what I, no, what I was uh, actually, uh, I was watching on television and I, as an architect, architect's professor, I was watching the, the uh, what is it, SoFi Stadium, and I was thinking, oh, my God, they copied the Science Museum in Shanghai in Pudong. It almost looks exactly really? like that. And everybody said, oh, it's award-winning. The stadium is wonderful. It's a copy. All right. And just be careful with okay. uh, <laughs> with what you're saying on the radio there, Barry. All right. Um, a couple of the commercials that have gotten a lot of uh, a lot of attention involve some celebrities. For instance, this commercial starring one of uh, one of my favorites, the star of Curb Your Enthusiasm and the uh, the creator of Seinfeld, Larry David. I'm still not entirely sure what this was a commercial for, uh, but I saw him playing a bunch of different remar- uh, roles. It looked funny. Uh, this is a little bit of this Larry David Super Bowl commercial. I call it the wheel. Eh, I don't think so. This is a miss. Russell James is behind the fork. I got dead forks right here, baby. <laughs> A toilet? We're not animals. <laughs> we go outside like humans. Hancock. No king. The people shall have the right to vote. Even the stupid ones? Yes. Edison, can I be honest with you? It stinks. Nobody's going to the moon, ever. Why not? It's far. It's too far. It's far. Tell me that you are. Totally music, this. 
Like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. So I, I thought that was pretty clever. Uh, again, I'd never heard of FTX, but I guess that's what the Super Bowl's for. Uh, if you're spending $7 million to have everybody uh, know you. Again, I guess the premise of the commercial was it shows Larry David playing different roles about history, predicting how these different innovations are going to be wrong. And then here he is in modern times saying how crypto is not going to last and how he's never wrong about these things. The implication being that Larry David's always wrong and how uh, you should be bullish on crypto. Crypto had a very big presence at the Super Bowl. In fact, it's the first time I remember seeing any crypto ads in a Super Bowl. Uh, that was, uh, I think, pretty clever. Uh, give me your review, Barry, as a uh, as a comic professor and as you know, as a consumer of what we saw in that Larry David commercial and from crypto in general. Well, first of all, in that commercial was was so loud that. I could say that Larry David did not curb his enthusiasm, okay, <laughs> number one. And by the way, you know, uh, curb your enthusiasm. You know what it sounds like? During COVID and the lockdown, the only way you could go and pick up something from a store is curbside pickup. So I was thinking of curbside uh, uh, curb, curbside enthusiasm. Now, uh, the only problem with that is it became so involved, and I was thinking of history and the signing of the Declaration of Independence, that by the time they got to what it was, I didn't even, you know, it's like, so well, what? Well, that was my it, impression It was well. anticlimactic. It, that was my impression is I kept saying to my friends, I said, what is this a commercial for? And then exactly. It, and then it says at the end, FTX. Uh, Pavlina, are you into crypto? I could see you either being really into it or really not into it. It's something I really want to get into <laughs> because it is the future. And I know it's obviously where a lot of us are going. And I find NFTs to be really fascinating, but I have not gotten into it yet. So because I, you never really know with those kind of things. And investing is one of those things that I like to put my money in something that I feel like that I have a lot of knowledge in or something that I, I know what's going on with. And crypto is just not one of those things. but it was really fascinating because I, I did know that, you know, some of the big sponsors of the Super Bowl, that's the one thing I did know, were some crypto companies. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, and one of the uh, – and when I was listening to that ad, because I hadn't seen any of the Super Bowl um, commercials just yet, but I, I noticed that it was for crypto. And I was like, that's really cool. That's really crazy how how fast it seems like Uh it's, you know, just being integrated in everyone's lives, even though I know it's been around forever. Well, but. do you think – well, not necessarily forever, but do you think that that uh, Larry David is the best spokesman to get um, to get people involved in crypto? Is that ad uh, – even keeping in mind you didn't see it, you only saw it, you only heard it. Is Larry David and that ad the best way to get people on board the crypto train, do you think? You know, I think it's funny. Um, I think for what they were going for and like the, you know, who Larry David is and what he stands for, just like the way they portrayed all of it. I think it was hilarious. And I, I, I like it for that. Um, I mean, he's not exactly like the face of crypto. I don't think like <laughs> I wouldn't really put him. I wouldn't think, you know, oh, crypto or NFTs and yeah, and I, think of him. I, but... I, thought it was, I thought it was clever for that reason. It's like yes. years ago they had that uh, I think it was a Snickers commercial featuring Abe Vigoda and Betty White. Uh, two <laughs> very kind of uh, not necessarily 
trendy people not considered young and hip at the time. And I thought that commercial was clever uh, for the same reason. Let me play one other commercial that's gotten a lot of attention. I don't remember seeing this, but I was running around and I was talking to people, so I didn't pay that close attention to the the commercials themselves. This is a rocket mortgage commercial featuring that American icon, Barbie. Barbie really wants this dream house. It's got stunning views and a slide. Barbie's ready for fun. So cool. And Barbie found out about this dream house with an alert from Rocket Homes. She did? Well, it's a super competitive market. Everyone wants to buy the dream house. Better off for Betty. I'll go 10 over asking. Cash offer Carl. Straight cash. House super super. Let's tear it to the studs. You vultures. You're going to start a bidding war. This is less than ideal. Oh, no. Don't worry, Barbie has a verified approval that shows her finances are backed by Rocket Mortgage. So Barbie wins. But we need a house. Oh, I found a fixer-upper castle on Rocket Homes. It has good bones, but really bad neighbors. (laughs) I like his vibe. Get your dream house all in one place with Rocket Homes and Rocket Mortgage. For a better way to find and finance, Rocket can. Thanks for helping. No problem, it's good for my glutes. Now, I, I actually, after hearing that, I'm actually sorry I didn't see the commercial because it sounds very clever, actually. Actually, it, it, it's, it, it's a compilation of dollhouses. However, it is woke. It is very 2022 because you notice Barbie wants a mortgage. She's not waiting for Ken to buy her the house. <laughs> True. So it is very woke, okay? Uh, not bad. How would you rate the wokeness of that one, Pavlina? Yeah, that was pretty woke. Um, I, you know, I didn't even think about that, uh, Barry. So that was that was a good one. I like that. Thank <laughs> she's you. she's an independent woman. An okay, independent, yes, we like definitely, to see it. definitely. <laughs> Did, Barry, were there any other spots that stood out in your view? Uh, any other commercials that you thought were particularly interesting, good, funny, amusing? Uh, well, noteworthy. There was the one with Mike Myers for GM Electric Car. Oh, was that the one where he was Doctor Evil from the yeah, Austin Powers he, movie? He, he was Doctor Evil. Now. When I hear of doc, of evil, Dr. Evil or evil, I do think of an electric appliance for somebody, Dr. Evil, like the electric chair, not an electric car. <laughs> I guess that's true. I enjoyed that uh, mostly because it played on uh, my love of nostalgia. And you, you, it's unbelievable to think that Austin Powers is nostalgia, but it very much is, and that they reunited all those villains from the Austin Powers movie. That was a lot of fun. And Dr. Evil, they showed at the end that he did have a son. So that's an homage to you and karma. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll take it. And uh, the commercial I really enjoyed, just because I love everything William Shatner does, was the Planet Fitness uh, commercial with Lindsay Lohan and William Shatner and all those people. Now, again, I I don't pay too close attention to the commercials because I think it's silly that we rush to change the channels on commercials 364 days a year, but then Super Bowl Sunday comes around and all of a sudden we watch these commercials as if it's uh, gone with the wind or something. You know, (laughs) what I can't understand is Planet Earth. He does a commercial for Planet Earth. And what was the buzz for one over a year it was escaping planet Earth. What a hypocrite. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Pavlina, you know, just going back to Valentine's Day for a second, and then we're going to take calls in a second at uh, 800-848-9222. Do, since you do, you write on that cusp of Generation Z and millennials, 
What do young people who are either in a couple now or seeking to be in a couple, what do Generation Zers, for instance, do differently when it comes to Valentine's Day when it, as opposed to their older counterparts? You know, so you're asking, like, where, when, what are they doing to get into relationships or what are they doing as far as for Valentine's Day? Either or, either or, just generationally, what's something a Generation Z or or a millennial might do differently romantically than a Generation X or a baby boomer? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it can cross, but um, I know a lot of my single girls, we love to have a Galentine's Day. You know, Galentine's Day is basically Uh where all your girlfriends get together and you, you know, sort of celebrate together. It's a lot of fun, super cute. And there's always a lot of great activities, you know? Um, and I, so I think that's always fun. Um, I've, I I was actually talking with one of my friends about it and he was saying like, guys should have their own like guy in times, guy in times day. I don't know how that would work, but where they, you know, a bunch of guys, single guys can get together and just sort of like have some self care and maybe. Well, you some... call it, call it Palentine's Day, right? Uh-huh. Palentine's that works too. <laughs> but um, I feel yeah, like guys I are mean... looking for fewer things to go to. Maybe that's just me. I'm looking for fewer and fewer things to have to have to go to. And uh, this is true, Barry. You have, I think, a daughter that's in the millennial or Generation Z age range. What what do you see as the the key differences between somebody Pavlina's age that might be courting a romantic partner versus somebody your age well first of all uh, i haven't seen her i just saw her again in in november i haven't seen her for two years during lockdown Mm. she's now going to to cambridge uh i just see within my daughter the difference between 10 years old and 20 Uh, it's uh and when i was uh, when she was born i was not exactly i was past 40 okay so people used to say to me Oh, what an adorable baby or adorable child, because they didn't know if I was the father or the grandfather. Now, when I was with her in, in Paris, you know, I'm past 60 and she's turning 20 on March 4th. I, I, people are staring at us. You know what they're thinking to themselves? What's that dirty old man doing with that beautiful <laughs> young girl? That's the difference. Uh, all right. So uh, I guess some truths are universal, but uh, there you have it. So a, an emphasis on on Valentine's Day, according to Pavlina, and then a uh, looking differently uh, when you are running around Europe, at least with your with your father, according to according to Barry. It is interesting. You know, I, I'm reminded of the. Uh, what you said earlier, Barry, about using uh, hand sanitizer on your head for the dirty thoughts that you have. And it does remind me of the show that we had debut on this radio station this weekend. Curtis Lee were co-hosting this new show with, with Anthony Weiner, who did get sentenced to 21 months in prison for sending obscene material to a minor. And uh, I, when I brought this up on Friday, when I announced this, there was a firestorm of controversy from the callers. People saying, I'm not going to listen anymore. And that seems to be uh, the case on social media as well. A lot of people just very upset about this show. Others saying, no, this is good. This shows WABC wants to reach out to different constituencies beyond just the narrow conservative listenership. Um, Barry, what do you think of a show like this and somebody like Anthony Weiner being given an opportunity to do a radio show? Is this the kind of thing that uh, th- that you can be on board with or is this the kind of thing that maybe was just, I don't know, a bridge too far in your judgment? Uh, well, for, for, first of all, um, didn't wasn't Anthony Weiner's wife 
a member, a friend of Hillary's or yes, something? Yes, yes. She still is her chief of staff, actually. Yes. Really? Okay. Yes. O- okay. So uh, I guess for WABC, it's another uh, point of view. It's a, a balance, a, a balance, a conservative versus, uh, I guess, uh, liberal. Uh, what about somebody in the middle? My territory. There you go. That's, right. Uh, yeah, no, mine too. Pavlina, what are your thoughts on Anthony Weiner being given uh, an opportunity to host a, a, week, a weekly radio show? Well, this is a tough one. Um, <laughs> that's that's a great question. I mean, I I can kind of see the two sides um, of of it, but I understand why people would be angry about it. Um, but I also, you know. I also do believe that, you know, we can we can get past it and it's it like it's something that he can get past and, you know, what he's done in his life. And I don't know, honestly, that's um that's a tough one. But uh, it's an interesting call on W, you know, on WBC's part. But, yeah, I'm not really sure, honestly, because <laughs> I, I could definitely see where it would upset a lot of people. Well, uh, I think for Anthony Weiner, it's, it's kind of he should have changed his name, gotten a stage name, or you know what? Better yeah, yet, maybe that would be a good call. In, in Vienna or Berlin, they pronounce uh, uh, Weiner Wiener. Wiener. And, and considering, uh, let's put it this way, and it, it's an extension of Weiner that got him into trouble. Mm. So, uh, okay, <laughs> he that, alluded that, to that. that. He, okay, okay, he, okay. <laughs> so I think he should have said, "Hi, I'm Anthony Wiener." Uh, yes, uh, I'm named after the schnitzel, okay? <laughs> Certainly would have been <laughs> interesting. Good. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Alan is in New Jersey. Alan, you're on with uh, Barry Goldsmith and Pavlina Asta. Hello. Hey, Frank. Uh, one of your two dynamite guests tonight um, mentioned Iceland and taking a trip to Iceland. And I thought about um, going to Reykjavik, Iceland, as a kind of different destination and might be interesting. Um, Pavlina and Barry, what do you think about a visit to Iceland? Uh, uh, okay. Uh, first of all, uh, you have to tell me if you like the winter or summer. If you're a winter <laughs> person, go now. Other Because it's very, uh, uh, it's very cold even during the summer. <coughs> and, uh, they had, if you like art and architecture, uh, there's a lot of wooden surprisingly great wooden architecture there and lots of nature like hot springs uh so if you go to winter go to the hot springs it'll be warmer but it's a great place and if you go with icelandic airlines um you can go somewhere in europe and stop off in Reykjavik uh for free you can you can go to luxembourg barry exactly exactly and luxembourg you can go to brussels paris or wherever so uh, it's it's great unto itself, but the bargain is using it as a stopover. Gotcha. Uh, That's Pavel- a real, those are some great like travel points. I love that, Barry. Um, hello, I also I went for my twenty first birthday, and it was so much fun. You know, obviously, depending on when you go, um, is going to determine your activities. I went in you know like late September, maybe early October, and. You know, snowmobiling, uh, going to Blue Lagoon is a lot of fun. There's like this beautiful spa in Blue Lagoon, like in a makeshift cave situation. Very cool. But I highly recommend Iceland. It's absolutely gorgeous. And the people are really, really nice. Um, 
yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And definitely why did you pick going. Iceland for your 21st birthday, Pavlina? Of all the places you could go, why there? True. Um, it was it was only four hours away from New York City, so it was pretty close by, and it was a you know fairly cheap like hmm. place to go. You know, as far as airfare goes, it wasn't that expensive. Um, once I got there, I spent some decent money, but like it was, it wasn't too expensive uh, compared to some other places. I didn't realize and it, it was, was also so close. Only a four-hour trip. There, there could be uh, weekends where where Eastern Long Island is a four-hour trip from uh, from New yeah. York City. Huh. How about I know. Might as well there? just go to Iceland. Honestly, just live it up. Have some, you know, black death shots. You'll be good. <laughs> Alan's question was about the food. How would how would you rate the food there, Pavlina? You know, uh, the food was not super memorable, so I don't really. It, it it was okay. I would say it's okay because I don't remember it. Like when I was when I've traveled all over, you know, I there's usually something that stands out to me with the food, and I don't even remember. I I know I ate obviously. I just I don't remember eating, so it it clearly wasn't that spectacular. <laughs> uh, it was once part of uh, Denmark. And uh, as I recall, they have a lot of open face sandwiches like smorgasbord. They still have that tra- tradition. So oh, yeah. I think I did see that. One of the good things about smorgasbord, if you're on a diet, you go from having a sandwich with two pieces of bread to one. <laughs> so it's a good place to start a diet with yeah. smorgasbord. Thank you, Alan. You, if you, you end up going, much. let us know how you uh, <laughs> like your trip there. 800-848-WABC. Carol is in New Jersey. Hello, Carol. Hey there, Frank. I'm enjoying your guests. So much. They're yeah, wonderful. they're terrific. Thank you, Carol. Yeah, Bar- Barry needs to have his own sitcom. <laughs> uh, yeah, either oh, that or you. a tragedy. One of the two. <laughs> um, you know what? Excuse me, Carol. Uh, I like to think that leisure travel, of all things, should be fun. So that's where I yes. tie a humor together with travel. Uh, I agree with that. You uh, know, I switched back and forth. Between uh, the Sinatra show and uh, the big game, as I was told, I'm supposed to call it. And I knew it was going to be a close game, but I was rooting uh, for Joe Burrow because he won the national championship in 2019 with LSU. And he also won the Heisman Trophy, too. And I... It was so close. It was. It was a pretty exciting game, and and thanks for the call, Carol. I didn't have a strong rooting interest either way. I was just sort of hoping to to see a good game, and uh, that we certainly did. Hey, we're going to continue with your calls, and uh, Pavlina Asta and Barry Goldsmith are here. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, 800-848-WABC. Straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. The Beatles singing about love there. Yeah, by the way, if you didn't hear any of, if you didn't hear all of Friday's show uh, and you're interested in the Beatles, you're going to want to listen to my uh, discussion with Bryce Zabel. Uh, we discussed not only aliens but the Beatles and where the two of them connect, including John Lennon's UFO sighting and the, how that influenced his future work. 
Definitely go listen to that. You can check out the podcast of Friday's show at WABCradio.com. I've been very, very lucky, very, very fortunate to be joined for the last 53 minutes by Barry Goldsmith and Pavlina Asta. Pavlina, I've I've introduced you a few times as a Guinness World Record holder. If people are unfamiliar with your history and your career, remind folks uh, what you did to become a Guinness World Record holder. Pavlina, I still got you? Yes. Can you oh, yeah. Now I got you. Yes. Matt Blaze was uh, otherwise otherwise engaged. All right. Pavlina? All right. All right. We're going to go back to Pavlina. Now, um, now you, Barry, actually had a, uh, a, a brush with Guinness World Record holding. You were a guest on a 33-hour talk show that I did, which at the time – broke the Guinness World Record for longest live TV talk show marathons. Feels like yesterday, but it was actually... That's right. It was actually 17 years ago. Oh, my God. Didn't that feel like it was yesterday? But I still wasn't Paulina's age. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Well, uh, uh, you don't look like you've aged much in that 17 years, whereas whereas, uh, I have uh, quite a few more gray hairs. You know what I'm doing now? Uh, So that I'll be Paulina's age? I'm overdosing on Zequil so I can become a member of Generation Z. And <laughs> Pavlina, what um what 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 did, what was the Guinness World Record that you broke that you still hold to this day? Yes, so it was the uh most interviews conducted in 24 hours where I did 347 interviews. In 24 hours? Wow. In 24 hours. How does a uh, how does an interview So I mean, how long were those interviews? So, you know, each one kind of varied, but um, the rules essentially were I had to ask each one five questions. They couldn't be yes or no uh, questions. They all had to have, you know, a sentence as an answer. Um, So, like I said, they sort of varied, but and I couldn't repeat any questions. That was the other part. Uh, So every single question was unique. And as sort of my preparation, I prepared like 2000 questions for uh for it and everything i was i was asking why is the sky blue by the end of it i was i was going kind of crazy <laughs> now that that must have been quite taxing uh, so you stayed up is and stayed awake that whole time those 24 hours i was so adrenaline high sure. yes it oh, was it was very easy i didn't i didn't want to eat i didn't have to go to the restroom i didn't have to do anything i was like i just need to stand here and get as many people you know, in front of me as possible. That was that was my goal the whole time. No, that's it was good. That, that's pretty impressive, isn't it, Barry? Yeah, very. You know, three hundred forty-seven interviews. And again, unlike my record, which uh, lasted for about forty seconds, that record <laughs> that you held and broke, uh, that still is in on the books to this day. It is, yes. Um, and it's so funny because right before I broke it, like two other people, um, one in London, and oh no, I, I, I'm sorry, one in Italy, and then one in London had just broken it. Like the guy in Italy broke it a week later, the guy in London broke it. And then another week later I broke it. But the guy in London, he, he got the record around, I believe it was like one fifty. So I still like went way, way, way beyond him, which is what I wanted to do. Um, and I, I still hold it, which I'm, I'm very proud of. That is uh, pretty neat. Well wow. done. Thank you. Uh, Pavlina, if folks want to follow what you're up to, by the way, uh, whether it's television, radio, podcasting, or, or the printed word, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Yes. So all of my social media is at Pavlina Asta, um, Instagram, Facebook, 
Twitter, where I, I don't really go on Twitter, actually. <laughs> um, you're not but missing then, much, believe me. I do go on Twitter, and I can tell you you're not missing much. Yeah, I think Twitter is such an interesting world, and I just don't need to be a part of it. I'm like, I'd rather be on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm happy with those, you know? So, and it's OSTA, right? OSTA, yes. All right. Well, uh, Pavlina, good luck to you in Michigan, and we hope you'll check in with us regularly and uh, come in and visit the next time you are in New York City. I absolutely will. Thank you so much for having me on. And it was great talking with you as well, Barry. Thank you. And it's a pleasure. Uh, many happy travels when you go to Michigan. My favorite place in Michigan is Greenfield Village that uh, uh, Henry Ford took Edison's lab, the Wright Brothers a bicycle shop, and put all these great sites in one place, Greenfield Village. Uh, Barry, what's the Amazing. best way for people to uh, follow you uh, and if they want to be kept informed about what you're up to? Okay, well, first of all, it's not to follow me at 2 o'clock in the morning when I walk home, okay? <laughs> Are <laughs> you walking home? No. Okay, no, good. Okay. Yeah, we'll, well, uh, I'll spring for a taxi. Uh, it's, uh, my email address is barry.goldsmith at uh, uh, nyu.edu. There you simple. go. Simple okay. enough. Barry.goldsmith at nyu.edu. If you play your cards right, you might be able to find Barry on Facebook as well. Barry and Pavlina, thank you both very much. I've enjoyed the hour. I hope you guys have as well. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you so me. much. Th- and good luck in Michigan. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, Pavlina. Thank you, Barry. A lot more show to get to, including uh, something really interesting next. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, there are two interesting stories that had to do with parenting and legal issues. They're international in scope, and uh, I have not been able to stop thinking about either. I'm going to tell you about both of them, and then uh, I'm going to invite you to comment on either or both of them. Let me first go to across the pond, the United Kingdom. This is a very sad story, and um, I'm going to link to it so you can read it. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I'm just going to give you some of the highlights at uh, Facebook.com slash MoranoFan if you want to read it. Uh, It's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O Fan. I have to tell you, though, it's one of those stories when you read it, it just stays with you because it's so so sad. Uh, And if you see the photographs, it makes it even sadder because you have a – beautiful woman, and you have an adorable little boy. Rebecca Hogue had a son named Jeremiah Ryder Johnson. And Rebecca Hogue's uh, boyfriend. So New Year's Day 2020, Rebecca Hogue came home from a 12-hour shift. Uh, This is actually not across the pond, but it it has generated a lot of interest out there. Uh, She came home from a 12-hour shift at the Oklahoma Casino where she was a cocktail waitress. 
She crawled into bed next to her two-year-old son, Ryder, and her boyfriend, and drifted off to sleep. The next morning, she woke up to find that Ryder wasn't breathing. Her boyfriend, Christopher Trent, was at work. She called the police and panicked. Body camera footage of that day from emergency responders shows her trying in vain to perform CPR on her son, who was pronounced dead when he arrived at the hospital. A coroner's report later concluded that his cause of death was blunt force trauma and evidence from the home that Hoag shared with her boyfriend showed strands of Ryder, that's uh, strands of Ryder's hair were found in the drywall. Hoag says she didn't know any of that then. She called Trent, begging him to meet her at the hospital. But he wouldn't respond to her texts or voice messages. Four days later, the police found Trent's body in the Wichita Mountains. He had died by an apparent suicide. A prosecutor would later make clear that it was known make clear it was known that Trent had killed Ryder. So the boyfriend, understand what happened here. The boyfriend killed the two-year-old boy, and then he killed himself. Um, four days later, um, so carved into a tree near the site where his body was found were the words, Rebecca is innocent, his girlfriend. But with the boyfriend dead, the investigation turned to the 29-year-old, Hogue, the 29-year-old mother, who was charged with first-degree murder. Understand what happened. Mother didn't kill her son. The boyfriend killed her son. The son is dead. The boyfriend's dead. She gets charged with first-degree murder. In Oklahoma... Parents who fail to protect their children from child abuse can be charged with the same crime as the actual abuser. These failure to protect laws, that's what they're called, failure to protect, exist in many U.S. states. They've drawn criticism from domestic violence experts who say in practice they often criminalize victims of domestic violence who may be too scared to leave. Now, I don't know what the solution is, and I I don't know what the rationale for these. uh, Well, look, I can guess the rationale of of the failure to protect laws is you want parents protecting children. You want adults or guardians protecting children. You want these innocent children who are, uh, you know, in no position to look after themselves. You want them being protected by those that are in a position to look out for themselves. But you look at this situation. This woman has lost everything. She lost her two-year-old son. She lost her boyfriend. The boyfriend, and and you can imagine the emotional toll, the psychological toll that that plays on a woman. To have somebody that you love, somebody that you share your life with, destroy your whole life by killing your son. Maybe this is me being naive. Maybe this is me being a bleeding heart, I don't think 
anybody is served, not the memory of this boy, certainly not his mother, I don't think anybody is served by charging her with first-degree murder. Now, uh, you want to charge her with uh, uh, child endangerment, uh, reckless endangerment, some charge for putting her son in a position where he was going to be around an abuser, I I can understand that. But to charge this mother who did not kill her son with first-degree murder strikes me as insane, quite frankly. What do you think? 800-848-9222. These 1-800-848-WABC. This case has now drawn a lot of attention from the media, from women's rights groups, and it's raising all sorts of questions about the lasting wounds of trauma as well as the limitations of the law to bring justice for the victims of abuse. This trial took place in autumn of last year. To convince a jury that she was guilty, the state needed to prove she knew about the abuse and didn't do anything about it. Hoke says she had no idea Trent was abusing Ryder before that day, though not long before his death, she had begun to notice the boy had minor unexplained injuries. Two weeks before her son died, she noticed bruises and cuts on his body. She told the police about them. She took photos and began searching on her phone for warning signs that a child might be being abused. But when she confronted her boyfriend about it, he told her that boys get nicks and bruises. That's what she told police. Two days before her son's death, while giving him a bath, she noticed her son was lethargic. She again confronted the boyfriend, who suggested that Ryder, that's her son's name, Ryder, must have had the flu. So this woman, Ms. Hogue, told police she searched online for symptoms of the flu and also for signs of how how a... Um, uh, you know, also, I, it's, it's such a difficult story for me to read. I, I apologize. How a child might act if they were being abused. She said she searched for those things because, quote, she attracts those kinds of men. The state says her searches prove that she knew Trent was abusing her child, but she forgave him. Hoke says she searched because she was cautious, but ultimately believed the boyfriend's explanations for the injuries. She said she felt for it because he manipulated her, the police report says. Prosecutors say those initial suspicions about his injuries and the fact that she continued to allow Trent to babysit are proof that Hoag was guilty of, quote, permitting her child to be murdered, close quote. Several pieces of evidence were not allowed into trial, which Hoag's pro bono attorney believes could have helped her case. The tree carving with the words, Rebecca is innocent, was considered hearsay. That wasn't admitted. The lead detective who investigated the murder was not allowed to give his opinion on the merits of the case. And an audio recording that captured him discussing it with a friend of Rebecca's was not allowed into court. On the recording, which was obtained by the BBC, 
He admits, the detective, he admits that his team looked into the question of whether to lay charges and they decided they didn't have enough evidence for a failure to protect first-degree murder charge. He said that. It's on tape. We don't believe in this charge, and there's a good chance she ends up in prison anyway because of the way the system is. That's what Detective Sean Judy can be heard saying on the recording. The district attorney's office chose to bypass police charges by asking a jury to decide if charges should be brought, which is allowed in some jurisdictions, rather a grand jury, basically, rather than by the police bringing charges. Ultimately, the grand jury decided charges were warranted. The DA is not really responding to media requests at this point. Finally, the jury was not allowed to hear, the trial jury, the trial jury was not allowed to hear expert testimony about Hoag's previous experience with domestic violence and how it could affect her because she was not the one being physically abused by the boyfriend, Trent. Over the eight-day trial, prosecutors repeatedly showed graphic images of Ryder's dead body covered in bruises, including leaving a picture of his bruised genitals up for 10 minutes during closing arguments. It took the jury less than two hours to convict her. So she's in prison now. And she is going to be sentenced on Friday, I believe. And this is a story which is, I find, uh, remarkable. She has been convicted of first-degree murder. And she did an interview with the BBC, and she said those brutal images of her abused son keep playing over and over in her head. The things they said in trial, they haunt me. Growing up an only child, this woman says she didn't know what it was like to be around little children until she gave birth to one. She was overwhelmed by how much she loved him, and she still calls him her best friend. Quote, he already had a sense of humor at two and a half, smiling at the memory. This is a woman that had no criminal record, and she is now looking at the very real possibility of spending decades in prison. The state of Oklahoma has the highest rate of female incarceration in the country. So my question for you is, what do you think of this? Do you think these failure to protect laws are appropriate? Should someone who did not murder their child, but whose boyfriend murdered their child, be charged and sentenced for the same crime as if they committed it? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. The jury recommended life with parole only possible after 38 years. But the Oklahoma Department of Corrections said a deferred sentence with no jail time and mandatory counseling is more appropriate. I certainly hope that that's what happens here. I would hate to see her serve 38 years in prison. Uh, This is incredible. Incredible to me. Uh, I find everything about this case really interesting. And she said, the mother, Ryder... That's her baby boy. 
is getting lost in all this. He's not being remembered. I don't know why this happened to us. I ask that all the time. And she's not the only person to be held responsible for her partner's violence. A a majority of U.S. states have some law against failing to protect children from abuse. And by the way, I'm all for that law. I think that's a good law. But sentences can range from mandatory counseling to years behind bars. In several states, including Oklahoma, it can carry a life sentence. In 2014, BuzzFeed did an investigation. They found at least 28 cases in 11 states where mothers were sentenced to 10 years in prison or more. Uh, Cindy Cindine Pazell, the legal director for the National Clearinghouse for the Defense of Battered Women, says that while these laws were crafted to protect children, in effect, they often punish victims of domestic violence and separate families, causing further harm. I'll be honest, I, I do think that's a very real concern. I think that we need to take a whole new look at these failure-to-protect laws. Was that did did this woman make some serious mistakes as a parent? Hundred percent, absolutely. Should she be facing thirty-eight years in prison? No way, no way. And now I hope they that she won't do any prison time because it seems to me she's suffered enough, and her life's never going to be the same. This woman's never going to be the same. And um, I don't know. It's just uh, it strikes me as. This woman has a habit of being in a relationship with men who are abusive. And she should have known that, I suppose, before allowing her two-and-a-half-year-old to be around somebody that was potentially abusive. But to send her to prison for 38 years strikes me as a bridge too far. 800-848-WABC. That's 800 848 Two, two. Um, in Oklahoma, about 13% of confirmed child abuse incidents can be categorized as failure to protect. That's according to uh, the state's child welfare department. This is in part because women are more likely to be the primary caregivers of children in, uh, in Oklahoma, at least. 800-848-WABC, if you would like to comment. Let me bring you... Uh, bring bring up this other case, which is far less depressing than that case, but it's pretty serious and has pretty serious legal implications, although just about anything would be less depressing than the case that I just brought to your attention. A mother gives up baby for adoption and sues sperm donor for $2.8 million after he lied about his education, nationality, and wife. Oh, yes, a woman in Japan has given up her baby to the state's care and filed a lawsuit against the sperm donor. While pregnant, she learned that the sperm donor lied about everything I just alluded to. She's filed a 330 million yen, that's about $2.8 million, lawsuit, and she is suing for emotional distress. So a Japanese woman is giving up her child to the state, and suing her sperm donor after he lied about his ethnicity and educational background. This woman, uh, who is in her 30s, she lives in Tokyo with her husband and firstborn child. She had sex with the sperm donor 
10 times due to conceive a second child after it came to light her husband had a hereditary disease. It's according to one of the newspapers in Tokyo. The donor told her he was Japanese, single, and a graduate of Kyoto University, one of the best universities in Japan. This woman, who we don't have her name, she's remained nameless, she got pregnant in June of 2019. However, during her pregnancy, she learned that the donor was, in fact, Chinese, went to a different university and was married. As a result, she decided she no longer wanted the child she'd conceived with him. But it was too late to terminate the pregnancy. After giving birth, she put the child up for adoption. She is now suing for almost $3 million, uh, the sperm donor, for emotional distress. The newspaper in Tokyo, the Tokyo Shimbun, reports that the woman said he tricked her for the sake of sexual gratification. Well, I'm not surprised that he tricked her. I mean, um, there's a reason that when we have mostly sperm, sperm donors in the United States, they don't do insemination the old-fashioned way. You go through a, an artificial insemination process, generally. I mean, I, I guess there are a lot of cases in the United States where you still go that route. But what do you think is going to happen? I mean, if there's one universal constant throughout the history of human civilization, it's that men will say anything to get laid. Oh, you you want me to be Japanese? Oh, yeah, I'm Japanese. Oh, single? You want me to be single? Oh, yeah, I'm single. Uh, you want me to say I went to Kyoto University? Oh, yeah, Kyoto. Yeah, that's me. Uh, I mean... For this woman to not check some of these details out before she had sex with this guy 10 times strikes me as, you know, I, I don't know, the old axiom, buyer beware, strikes me as uh, very foolish, to say the least. So I can understand you sue the sperm donor, but to put the baby up for adoption because the biological father is Chinese instead of Japanese, because he's married Instead of single? And because he didn't go to the fancy college you thought he went to? I don't know. Strikes me as uh, a little bizarre. The woman's lawyer spoke to Japanese broadcaster TBS News, stating that she's suffering from intense mental distress and sleep problems due to the sperm donor's misrepresentation. The lawyer said the lawsuit is a way to prevent similar ordeals from happening in the future, taking aim at the thriving underground sperm donor industry in Japan. So there you have it. You fellas that are, you know, love lorn this Valentine's Day, perhaps Japan is the country for you. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six open lines if you want to comment on either or both of those two stories. Let me begin with Michael on the Upper West Side. Hello, Michael. Hey, I was listening to that first uh, story. And <clears throat> she proved her guilt by saying that she was in a previous abusive relationship, number one. Number two, I don't know how much commitment there could have been on his part. They weren't even married. And if this little kid, let's say, was three years older and in a uh, pre-K school, kindergarten, whatever you want to call it, the teacher would notice these things and call 
and call whatever it is, social welfare or the police or something like that. So how could she not notice all these all these bruises? They should put her away. She well, well, she did notice. She did notice the bruises. That's one of the reasons that she questioned the boyfriend number one, and she claims that she was looking it up number two. <sighs> No, she's she's woefully mentally inadequate to make uh, to make major decisions like this. Well, so let's she say you're should, right. She should be sent to prison. On the second case with this uh, fake fo- uh, sperm donor, you know what I hope for him, Frank. What's that? I hope he gets his come. Oh, boy, Michael. Oh, geez. Uh, that is a, a phone call that I wish ended about 30 seconds earlier. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Jennifer is in Boston. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, Frank. In the words of uh, Curtis Lee, well, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. It's not um, the first time. Yeah. Frank, especially if the father of, of a child now, dear God. I don't understand. If someone goes into, let's say, a bank or home invasion, and someone gets killed, right? It's not, uh, and it's not just the person that does the shooting, or if even one of the bad guys gets shot by, say, a homeowner or security guard. Whoever it is, it's not just the right. They, it's the they, felony they, murder law, right? That you're talking yeah. about, yeah. Okay. In this case, Frank, you just said, "Oh, she saw the bruises." She asked the boyfriend. Please, I'm so sick of people making excuses for people that want what they want. She wanted that piece of you-know-what in her life. That's why she stayed. That's why she didn't take the child away, and that's why she let him watch that child. It is disgusting, and I am so sick of people making excuses. You know what, Frank? I wouldn't let if my dog had gone to a groomer and had any indication of injury. Do you think I would ever bring him back there again? Uh, Hell Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. Um, So, so and Frank. You, you just trust me. If you knew about I'm my background, you you would know that I I could claim to be a victim just like her. Okay, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to claim it, and I would never endanger another living thing, especially my own child. You know why? Because it's what what was best for her. She wanted, like I said, that piece of you know what in her life, and then she claimed to be so horrified at the picture up during the uh, closing argument. But she didn't. She couldn't have been that horrified while she was looking at that child while he was alive. Give me a break. And I can't believe a man as intelligent as you. I guess, like you said, you are fond of people in prison because you, uh, the fact that you could have any sense of uh, compassion for her, every ounce of compassion should be for that poor child. She might live to see another 38 years. That child won't live to see another day. And, uh, well, and I so, Jennifer, what about, what about the fact that the detective is caught on tape saying that the, they don't have sufficient evidence to charge her? under the failure to protect statute. Okay. All right. That might be the detective's opinion, but didn't the grand jury indict her? Yes. Yes, they did. Isn't that their job? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, they they did. There's nothing nothing that was not in accordance with the law here. And what you've just said is what happened, right? She, She said that she saw bruises. She looked up stuff. Give me a break. If she wanted to protect that kid, she knew what was going on. Frank, believe me. 
she wanted what she wanted, and she wanted that guy more than she wanted. She cared about the well-being. So it, it sounds like we, what you're saying is because she wanted a relationship with this fellow, be it a sexual relationship or companionship, whatever the case may be, she was willing to sort of turn a blind eye to obvious Absolutely. signs of abuse. Absolutely. Uh, let's Absolutely. say you're right on all that, right? And uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go along with you on that. Should she really face the same penalty as somebody that carried out the murder? Absolutely, because it's not for her negligence and helping that child. That child would be alive. See, that's where I, I, like, uh, that's where we part company. I'm all for charging her with negligence. I'm all for charging her with child endangerment. I'm not for charging her with first-degree murder. I mean, first-degree murder is first-degree murder. That is premeditated. And that is uh, something that is reserved for the most brutal, intentional acts of killing. Keeping in mind what Jennifer said, without the shots at me, um, I could agree with just about everything she said. This strikes me as somebody that really did love her child. And she made a tragic mistake here. And I, I'm not going to send her for prison, to prison for 38 years for that. And I hope the judge doesn't when uh, she's sentenced on Friday. We'll continue with your calls in a minute. 800-848-WABC. Uh, one, two, three open lines. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Hello, hello, baby. You called. I can't hear a thing. I have got no service in the club. You say, you say. What, what, what did you say? Oh, you're breaking up on me. Sorry, I cannot hear you. I'm kind of busy. I'm kind of Lady Gaga, uh, a terrific song about making phone calls. If you'd like to make a, make a phone call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. We're talking about two stories, one in Oklahoma, one in Japan. Uh, both stories involve relationships. Uh, both stories, uh, w- one story ended tragically. The other story is, I think, unfortunate. I mean, it might be unfortunate, might not be, if... Uh, the little boy, if the child involved in the Japanese story gets adopted by a loving family, then it'll turn out to be not so unfortunate. But a woman in Oklahoma was in a relationship with a man, and uh, she went to work. Her boyfriend beat up her child. She was living with the boyfriend. The boyfriend killed the child when he beat him up, and she called the police right away. She tried to do CPR on the boy. Uh, There were signs of abuse. She looked her up. She questioned the boyfriend about it. Boyfriend denied anything. A boy, the child was lethargic. 
And uh, the boyfriend said, oh, he probably has the flu. She looked up symptoms of the flu. Boy died. She's charged under a failure to protect law with first degree murder, not criminal negligence, not uh, child endangerment. She's charged with first degree murder. She's convicted of first degree murder. She's going to be sentenced on Friday. And the ju- the jury that convicted her is recommending 38 years in prison. Would it say you? 800-848-WABC. Issue two, Japan. Uh, a woman was looking to conceive a child. She found a sperm donor. But unlike going to your local sperm bank here in the United States, she found someone that was willing to donate sperm the old-fashioned way. They had sex. The woman says she got pregnant after having sex with with this fellow 10 times. Once she was pregnant, she learned the guy was Chinese, not Japanese, was married, not single, and had not gone to the prestigious Kyoto University. Now she put the baby up for adoption, and she's suing for $2.8 million in the hopes that it dissuades other would-be sperm donors from conning women. What do you think of both of these cases? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Let me begin with Robert in Denville. Hello. Hey, I uh, want to tell you I really enjoy your your program. Thank you. I, I think um, uh, you are just so great at, uh, at the show. It's my favorite radio show to listen to. Oh, well, that's awfully and, nice uh, of you. I, I can't say I blame you, but thank you. <laughs> three, three things really quickly. Um, when uh, when you were on on with um, Barry Goldsmith and the young lady, she was saying uh, Valentine's Day for girls was um, um, gal uh, val- uh, Galentine's Day and uh, Guyan's Day. I think it should be Galentine's Day and Palentine's Day. Well, I said A-L. that. I said that, Robert. Oh, you did. I'm sorry, I missed that. Sorry. See, it goes to show we are you are a fan of the show because we think the same way. Yes, we do. We do. Secondly, really quickly, I believe that the woman uh, who was negligent uh, in not noticing that her boyfriend had killed her son, I don't think prison is the answer. I think she needs to be helped and reformed, perhaps working in an environment to help children so she can better understand. I think the whole prison system is backwards. Imprisoning people for many crimes is, is the opposite of what we should do. You should teach them what they did wrong and help them to be better people. Robert, I, then, I agree with you. And we're going to save your yeah. number to give it to Jennifer from Boston so that she could call you and harass you, um, you know, and give you the same hard time she gave me. Keith is, uh, excuse me, Corey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Corey. Hey, Frank. Hey. Um, love, love you two guests. They were awesome. Oh, they good. I'm glad like to hear a, that. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Like a little uh, Joan Hamburg show. Yeah, why not? you got to do that once in a while. It's a holiday weekend. Yeah. We're still celebrating Lincoln's birthday. We're celebrating the Super Bowl. We're celebrating Valentine's Day. You got You can't can't be all about, uh, you know, Russia poised to invade Ukraine, right? Exactly. Um, as far as the uh, child's death, I'm agreeing with you uh, about the sentencing. But I did call and tell uh, screeners that I want to talk about the uh, Asian couple who I think she I would like to denounce both of those people. One, the man for lying and the other for the woman for basically disregarding this child because they weren't of pure race or 
and not doing her yeah. homework. Well, exactly. Not, and not, and, and I, I'm with you completely, Corey. And, you know, I don't know if you have children. You have children? I do not. All right. Well, I don't know. If I ever have a daughter, once she is um, out of puberty, one of the very first lessons that I will impart upon her is that there are a lot of unscrupulous men out there that will say absolutely anything, no matter how dishonest it is, in order to have sex with you. And, I I mean, that's sad that there are so many fellas like that out there, but it's true. So one of the things that I would tell my daughter if I had one was, please, you got to do whatever you can to be on the lookout for those guys. And I just don't know how you don't check this stuff before. Oh, you went to Kyoto University. Well, I could A, just take your word for it, or B, ask to see your diploma. I mean, it's just, I don't get it. Oh, you're single? Oh, that's good enough for me. A background check? Nothing. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Keith is on the west side. Hello, Keith. Hey, Frank. Great to talk to you again. Thanks. A couple of quick uh, comments on both topics. Um, uh, this the, the murder, that's such a common problem in this country. Um, if I may say so myself, the woman is unstable. She uh, she needs a relationship with a man, whether it's good or not, and this happens. And I think I don't agree with the first degree because that's premeditation. I think second degree at least. Uh, but she needs to be kept off the streets and helped so that it just doesn't repeat itself, and it will. It'll happen again. Um, and on this Japanese thing, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Uh, I'm married to a Japanese woman, and China and Japan Japan have a very <laughs> bad historical relationship. But I, uh, I'm sure it was her lawyer that came up with this $3 million figure. And who are they going to get the $3 million from? Some company, right? Some company that this guy – now, they could have been colluding. Uh, I doubt it, but you know the Chinese well, guy and wh- her. Wh- what makes you? And again, maybe you're and they f- share them and they share the money if may- it works. Maybe you're more familiar with Japanese law than I am. Uh, in fact, I'm well, willing I to bet there. that you are. Uh, but why would you assume that she would be getting the money from a company rather than getting a judgment against this individual? Because how many individuals have three hundred three million dollars to give somebody? Well, I guess. it has to be a company that he that that that, that he went through. And yeah, then they I'm not so sure. They, yeah, I'm not. They I'm, could have colluded in advance. They could have colluded I, I, in advance. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I don't see. I don't see any coverage that she's going after a company. For me, from what I see here, it looks like he's going after. Uh, she's going after the individual. So unless there's any any suggestion that she's uh, suing an insurance company or a sperm uh, match service or something like that. It looks like to me she's suing this guy. I have no doubt that the guy really was dishonest. I don't think that she's colluding with this guy. I don't understand why she's, um, I mean, it looks to me like she's putting this guy, this baby up for adoption or did put him up for adoption purely out of racism. Uh, I mean, 
at least half racism. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. Uh, let me say three things about Japan. Number one, uh, when I go there and I listen to your show, it'll be during the day because it's a 14-hour time difference between New York and Tokyo. And uh, <laughs> number two, I have a new admiration for the Japanese. They don't like their vegetables frozen. They like them fresh. Oh! And finally, uh, the woman's the dish will meal because the baby is half hers. So I could understand her suing the guy. But to, to put him up for adoption and get get rid of the baby, it's cruel. Kind of ridiculous. To me, it's 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 incredibly cruel. Now, Japan is a country where they have such a low birth rate. I'm sure that this baby won't have a difficult time getting adopted by a loving family. At least I hope so. But and it sounds like, given how uh, out to lunch this woman is, maybe this baby would be better off being raised by other parents. But uh, but I agree. I think it's nuts. To be able to, uh, you know, to, to just put up put up this baby because you got fooled by the uh, the the father. I mean, I think it's terrible. Jay is in Cincinnati. Hello, Jay. How you doing, Frank? It's tragic what we have in society today. Children are so precious, but we have a throwaway throwaway society. There's a cemetery near me that has an area called Babyland. Okay. These families that had children that died in infancy years ago bought a plot. They had these headstones that are absolutely heartbreaking. No babies have been buried there in probably 40 years. It's, it's just so tragic. Okay. Well, so well, do you have anything to add with respect to these specific cases? Um, it, it's just tragic. What, what we think of children today, I've, I've been involved with... I'm a single man. I've been involved with women with with, with children, and yes, you know, some women just it just like uh, regarding a uh, you know. Uh, Jay, Jay, your phone's like gurgling. It's all screwed up, but I, I appreciate the point. Well taken. And uh, Michael is in Ohio. Hello, Michael. Frank. Hey, I am a father of three, two boys and a girl. Okay, I've changed their diapers, I've given them baths, I've, I've clothed them. Now, I'm a guy. Moms do it majority of the time. Now, the mom says she's noticed some bruises. I mean, I've noticed bruises on my children, too, but usually they're real small and isolated. They're not grotesque to be, enough to put up a picture in the courtroom for 10 minutes and she'd be disgusted by it. Why wasn't she disgusted by it when she saw it the first time? This case, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you for first-degree murder but uh, case, but I agree with, I believe her name is Carol, your previous caller. I agree with her so much more. I, it just baffles me that a woman can see this stuff and do nothing other than do a search on a search engine on the Internet. Well, uh, and again, uh, she did call the police as soon as uh, there were signs of abuse. Uh, not signs of abuse, but as soon as he was unresponsive when she came home well, from work after, on New Year's Day. Yeah, no, uh, look, uh, again, Michael, believe me, I'm not sitting here saying that this woman is a uh, is a poster child for Parenting Magazine. I just think uh, to, to look at 38 years in prison as the jury's recommending here, it's I, I don't I don't see that being appropriate here. I don't think it'd be an appropriate punishment. I think. I think it is appropriate to get more than just counseling. 
and a slap on the wrist and go home and live out your life. All right. Well, that's fair, Michael. Thank you. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Uh, we'll talk about less depressing topics in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. is doing a terrific job this morning picking out love-themed songs for you this Valentine's Day. So remind me of your situation, Matt, relationship-wise. You you, you live with a uh, domestic partner? Is that yes, accurate? that would be correct. So what do you do for Valentine's Day? Nothing. Nothing? Absolutely nothing. And you don't have children? I've given up. You gave up? Yes. When did you give up? How like 10 ago? years ago. How long are you with this, uh, this person? Uh, 15 years. Wow. That's yeah. a long time. Yeah, I would give up at that point. Uh, this is like, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, no no uh, marriage, though, between uh, no. the two of you. It got, like, pushed off. And then we just was like, eh, why even bother? I hear that. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Well, I am a minister in the uh, Universal Life Church, If you, as you may be aware. If you wanted to get married, I'd be happy to perform the ceremony. And we could do it live on the air. Think about how fun that would be. That kind of would be fun. Yeah. Why are you shaking your head, Molly? Like it wouldn't be fun? We got one. Uh, Matt knows how I feel. Uh, you, okay. All right. Well, I, I, it sounds like I won't. I shouldn't. Uh, I shouldn't pry on air about this. All right. Hey, uh, I'll tell you what I will pry into. You know, I recognize. Look, it's tough to be on the air four, five, six hours. You know, in the middle of the night. Okay. Uh, and you know, I've done it. And they say no one appreciates the power of the flame more than somebody that's been burned. I know what my friend Curtis Lee goes through in terms of trying to be on for four or five, six hours at, in the middle of the night on Saturday morning and Sunday morning. And I, and I listen. I know it's tough. I know it is. And um, especially when you do all the other things that Curtis does. I mean, he's not only doing multiple other radio shows, but he's running the Guardian Angels. He's a father of three. He's a, a husband. He's an ex-husband to three or four women. And uh, he's involved in all these political activities, and especially this weekend he had to fly back from Florida. I recognize that Curtis has got, has got a lot going on. But is it me, or if you listen to the, the weekend edition of this program when Curtis is filling in, basically the whole show is just Curtis ranting about some imaginary perceived slight of him and then allowing the callers to go on and on as long as they want for 13 minutes um, so that he has to come up with less content. I mean, I used to be in the event videography business many years ago, and I remember there was this one wedding band, and they, what they would do, my friend Dennis and his wife Pauline, I worked with a husband and wife team, I was their assistant, and they would tell me, oh, this band, you know what they do? I said, no, what do they do? 
they 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 make the they play more music in between the songs. So they they make the songs longer, like by adding a they make the songs longer so that they have to learn less music. That's what Curtis is doing. Curtis is making his whole show about ranting about me, stuff that he knows is not true, and allowing the callers to throw fuel onto that fire so that he has to spend less time thinking of compelling subjects to do on the talk radio. Now, let me be very clear. I love that Curtis does this. I have no issue with this at all because, one, in doing so, Curtis is promoting this show, and, two, even if it wasn't promoting this show, those of you that know me at all know that I have uh, more than a little bit of a problem with narcissism and to, you know, to be able to tune into the radio pretty much at any point in the weekend and hear my name mentioned when I'm not even on is it's like a narcissist dream. It's wonderful. Um, That being said, (laughs) I really have to take issue with, um, with, with a couple of things Curtis said. Again, I could take issue with all 11 hours of the overnight program that he did. Whenever he was not sharing the microphone with a convicted sex offender, I uh, could probably take issue with what he was saying. This was one of the many rants Curtis went on over the weekend. With Frank? Uh, no, no. Uh, Frank has cut me off. Uh, he has uh, achieved the highest ratings ever. Uh in the overnights, uh, more than Art Bell ever got, that Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown, more than Alan B. Combs got when he did overnights at WABC. But he's trying to say that the ratings only cover from Monday through Friday and not Saturday and Sunday. And you know that can't be true, Chris. I do not believe that one bit because I used to listen to the other Huckleberry was that was on before and... I got tired of that, so I actually turned it off. You came on, and I've been listening since, so I do not believe that to be true. But you see, Frank is a welcher in all different ways. <laughs> so here it is. You would think you would say, okay, I broadcast 20 hours a week, meaning Frank, 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays. I do the bulk of the other side of midnight, and Curtis comes on and does the weekend version of the other side of midnight. He does 11 hours. So that's one-third. So I have I have contributed one-third of his rating, and he insists that's not true, Chris. No, do not believe it. Do yeah, believe yeah, it. no, and he perpetuates that, and he says it on his program. He says it on his social networking. He even told the suits, the mockers, the muckety-mucks here at WABC. <laughs> he said, that's my number. I'm not, I'm not giving credit to Curtis. I said, well, you became the number one overnight host of all time only after I began doing the weekend version of The Other Side of Midnight. Right, Chris? Uh, Listen, you went away to run for your campaign, and he didn't have those numbers before. Now you've come back. How could that be? Yeah. Yeah, so make it a point. I need everybody out there. To listen to Frank, if they can, all four hours, Monday through Friday, a total of 20 hours, to rat him out to me, to let me know exactly oh, yeah. what he's saying. Because he's backdooring me. You know, he says nice things at times, you know, so that all of a sudden I won't listen. 
and then he stabs me right in the back with a shiv. Oh, total. And listen, maybe you need to uh, go over there and have a uh, ping pong tournament with him. Oh, he always talks about playing ping pong, right? What what has he got? Red Chinese blood in him? I wouldn't trust. I don't trust anybody who plays ping pong. That's the red Chinese sport. That's their sport. Forrest Gump. You got to call him Forrest Gump. That's right. Frank Morano, the Forrest Gump of WABC. First of all, if, if there's one person who's the Forrest Gump of WABC, it would be Curtis. Because much like Forrest Gump, Curtis, I'm not even convinced, has a triple-digit IQ. Number two, um, the the ratings that Curtis is referring to, and I do appreciate, one, him telling everybody to listen sincerely. And two, I appreciate him pointing out that these are the best overnight numbers that anyone's ever done uh, in, in, in the history of a lot of great overnight hosts on this station. But they are just Monday through Friday. Now, Curtis gets his own number. There are ratings for just the Saturday and Sunday version of the show. And I've seen those numbers, and uh, they're quite good as well. So I don't know why Curtis needs to hone in on 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 kind of creating this fictitious feud where none exists, whereas he could just say, you know, Frank's doing very well, and I'm doing very well. Outrageous. He could, he could just say that. Now, and again, uh, part of me thinks that Curtis does this in order to go out of his way to um, point out that we are doing well, and number two, get people to listen, which I appreciate if that's the case. So I'm not taking this too seriously. But I'm amazed at the number of people that write to me. And they get all upset about Curtis's rants, you know, about me. And um, just I don't take it too seriously. You shouldn't either. But Curtis, if he's going to create this sort of a fiction, he should at least have some sort of a plausible, I don't know, some sort of a plausible way about it. Um, but uh, we'll we'll continue and we'll get into that more a little bit later. Curtis did do uh, he did say something that I thought was a little out of line yesterday on his program last night, to be specific. I'll play you that audio and a whole lot more coming up next. Though we have commendations coming your way. You want to know who deserves a pat on the back? I'll tell you. And Curtis referenced ping pong. There we have some big ping pong news which I'll share with you as well. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, 1-800-848-WABC. Hey, tomorrow, just about 24 hours from now, we're going to go through your best and worst mail. If you want to email me, keep it pithy, keep it witty, but email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. And whether it's laudatory or critical, I will read your best and worst emails tomorrow on the air, frank.morano at WABCradio.com. You can also uh, send me some good old-fashioned snail mail if you like. Uh, Just do that by going to P.O. Box 1777, uh, New York, New York, 10163. Send it to my attention, though, Frank Morano. P.O. Box 1777, attention, Frank Morano, New York, New York, 10163. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, Help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. It's Monday. It's also Valentine's Day. It's also the day after the Super Bowl. Is today um, any sort of a holiday for Lincoln's birthday because it's the Monday after the weekend? Do we know? I don't know. I know a a friend of mine's a state worker, and he was off on, um, excuse me, he was off on Friday, the actual day of Lincoln's birthday. Uh, But I don't think this is technically, I don't think this is President's Day. I guess that's next week uh, that would be President's Day. Uh, So probably you're not off today. Although they, they, they really should always make President's Day and I'm, I'm, this is not shtick here. I'm not joking about this. They really should make President's Day always the day after the Super Bowl, right? Because look, look President's Day is. I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a made-up holiday, but the the selection of it is arbitrary, right? So if it's going to be arbitrary, I mean, who cares? I mean, nobody. Lincoln's descendants are not getting together waiting to have a big Lincoln's party on the third Monday in February. So it's going to be arbitrary anyway. Just do it the day after the Super Bowl. Give everybody else the day off. Give everybody the day off. That At least that gets off for President's Day. Although, I don't know, fewer and fewer people, I feel like, get off for President's Day. So you know what they should do? They should make it that if you've been a president, then you get off for President's Day. Uh, everyone else, you got to go to work. All right. Without further ado, it is time for me to give a pat on the back to the people or entities that deserve a little recognition. It's time for The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must commend Las Vegas, Nevada. I am uh, just thrilled for the school students in Las Vegas, Nevada. They are being unmasked like General Flynn in the midst of the Mueller probe. So the word from Nevada is very positive. Nevada Governor Steve Sisolak, who's been very, very strict with these COVID rules, far too strict, as somebody that visited uh, Las Vegas during the pandemic, um, as soon as they, as soon as he rescinded the mask mandate, Las Vegas school children just went crazy. They started partying and and throwing their hands up in the air like they just didn't care. And it was captured on video, was shared on social media. And now in the Clark County School District, which includes Las Vegas, masks are no longer required. I say good for you, Nevada. Good for you, Clark County. Good for you, Las Vegas. Most of all, good for you, school children. I think it's horrible uh, to see these children going to school in um, in masks. And we've chronicled the reasons why. I've given you my take. We've heard from educators. We've heard from parents. We've heard from, from grandparents. Uh, the damage that this is doing is very real. And um, I'm glad that at least there's one more school district where these school children are being unmasked. Hopefully... A year from now, there won't be any masked school children left unless they choose to be. Let me commend Alex Birkin. Uh, this guy is my kind of guy. And we may even try and get him on the on the radio. If I did a TV show instead of a radio show, this guy would be one of the first people that I reached out to. This is a, a YouTuber named Alex Birkin. He's from Russia. And... 
he was recently recognized as the creator of the world's first retractable lightsaber. And this is so cool. He runs a great YouTube channel called Alex Lab. You could search him. This guy invented a lightsaber that cuts through steel. You And it looks like it's in the movies. Now, it's not the... It can't stay, the stream can't stay solid as long as Darth Vader's or Luke Skywalker's can, but it works. It's a three-foot plasma blade inspired by the Star Wars movies. It cuts through steel. Um, It cuts through steel. It produces a three-and-a-half-foot plasma blade that reaches over 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, this is great. You know, we've we've spent a lot of time talking about how all the inspiration from Star Trek affected the real world. This is an example of Star Wars affecting the real world. And I think it's just wonderful that he was able to invest this, inv- invent this, and I'm pleased that he's getting some uh, some recognition here. So I-, I have to tell you, one of the things, when, how I prepared for this segment, you know how I prepare for this segment is my whole week, I keep my ears open. That's how I prepare. And if I hear something that's commendable or positive, I jot it down on my commendation list on my phone. I keep all these notes on my phone. I have these all these pads on my phone. Just I have notes on everything. I have an ideas folder. I have a, a list of things I'm going to talk about with this person. I have a commendation list. I have a topic list. I have a sound list. It's all on my phone. I just guest list. And... I wrote down on my commendation list, Savannah. Now, this happens to me from time to time, that I'll write down somebody that I'm going to commend, and then what I do is I go to my computer and I'll look, okay, why was Savannah in the news? And usually they'll say, oh, Savannah's the best city to go on vacation, or Savannah's the the city with the brightest light, so there's the longest life expectancy, whatever the case might be. So that's what I expected to see when I typed in Savannah. I didn't find anything like that. So... I don't know why I wrote down Savannah, and I don't know if I meant the city of Savannah. However, I might have meant Savannah Guthrie from NBC News. And if I didn't mean Savannah Guthrie, then I'm now giving her a commendation because in the midst of the coverage of the Olympics opening ceremony on Friday, Savannah Guthrie um, was co-hosting the NBC Sports broadcast. And the opening ceremony in China culminated with Uyghur cross-country skier Dinjir Yulimarjong lighting the Olympic torch. And Savannah Guthrie called it, quote, a stunning decision by the host nation, China, as other countries have deemed China's treatment of the Uyghurs to be genocide, she said. She said, quote, it's so striking and so provocative by Chinese President Xi Jinping and a real message. Savannah Guthrie is absolutely right. And the fact that NBC, which has been so cautious with a lot of things related to these sporting events, the Olympics, the Super Bowl, uh, etc., The fact that she is an employee of NBC would have no qualms about saying that, then I think that that is just really impressive. So uh, if I 
Savannah Guthrie, I do commend you. And for the city of Savannah, if I cannot find why I was going to commend you, I apologize and I regret the error. I want to commend Varasano's Pizza. Varasano's Pizzeria is an Atlantic, Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia pizza place, which took the top spot on the country's 10 best reviewed pizzerias on Google. That's right. This past week was National Pizza Day. We have pizza here every Friday. And when it comes to different types of pizza, Google discovered the people in the New York metropolitan area are on the hunt for some plant-based options. There are searches for vegan pizza on Google Maps. And in terms of pizza chains, Domino's Pizza remains the top search pizza. But when it comes to the best-reviewed pizzeria in the country, it's Varasano's Pizzeria in Atlanta, Georgia. It's known for its traditional sourdough thin-crust pies. It only uses natural ingredients when making their pizzas. I've never tried this place, but look, I, I mean, you might say, what do they know in Atlanta about good pizza? Maybe that's true. But for them to be the top-reviewed pizzeria in all of Google, in the whole country, it's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Uh, I have to commend the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. Robert Taylor won a jackpot of $229,000, $229,368 on January 8th. But he didn't get he didn't get to collect his winnings. Until just a week or two ago. You might ask what happened. Why didn't he get his money right away? Well, Robert Taylor hit this jackpot at the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino in Vegas. But there was a slot machine glitch. So he didn't know that he won. He didn't know he won. There were no sirens. There were no buzzers. It didn't look like he won. So um, he didn't have his card in there. So it took weeks of good old-fashioned police work for the casino officials to find this guy and award him his money. They thought it was going to be a long shot to be able to identify him, but they put a lot of effort into it. And as they said, it was the right thing to do to find the owner of this money. I mean, look, I'm sure the casino had to, as part of the regulation, put in the good faith effort necessary to find this winner of a jackpot. But for them to go out of their way to give $229,000 to a guy that didn't know that he won, that's pretty impressive. And I'll tell you, the next time I'm in Las Vegas, I don't know when that will be, but the next time I'm in Las Vegas, I am going to make a trip trip to the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino. If I'm going to lose my money somewhere, I'm going to lose it to a hotel that's at least going to the effort of uh, trying to find the proper winners. Absolutely. I want to commend the world champion Los Angeles Rams. They won Super Bowl 56, beating the Cincinnati Bengals. A terrific game um, with the Rams beating the Bengals 23-20. to I didn't have a strong rooting interest one way or another. I was just hoping to see a good game. 
And boy, did we see a good game. I mean, it was a wonderful game, a close game until the very end. Both teams played well. And if you bet on the Bengals, they covered the spread. So if you bet on the Bengals, you won. So um, congratulations to the Rams. I want to give a commendation to my dear friends, Brian and Katie Silverstein. They hosted my wife and I at their house in Marlboro, New Jersey on Saturday. And they did sort of a, like a reunion of fellas that we grew up with in our in our neighborhood. So it was great to see not only my friend Brian Silverstein, but Craig Simonetti and uh, our friend Anthony Fontana as well, along with all these people who have children now. We used to kind of play football in the streets when we were, uh, you know, 12 and 13 years old, and it's uh, surreal to think that, um, you know, all of us have real lives and real professions and families. But uh, Brian and Katie, uh, they were did a stellar job hosting. Not only uh, did they provide copious amounts of liquor, which at least I consumed, if no one else did, but uh, they uh, bought us lunch and everything. It was a lot of fun. It was great, great to see everybody. I want to commend... And uh, especially my friend Francis, who now lives in Baltimore, who I haven't seen in maybe five years. Francis came down for the day as well. So like I said, it was very much kind of a, a neighborhood reunion from our area. I want to commend Nate McAvoy. Nate McAvoy is a teenager, 16 years old from Wisconsin. And he has broken the record... For the most Jenga blocks removed in one minute. He managed to remove 32 blocks and place them back on top of a Jenga tower without toppling it over. Now, he already held the record of 25 blocks, but he decided to give it another go and try and break his own record. And he did. Very impressive, young man. Do you know the dexterity it takes to play Jenga? And to move 32 blocks in one minute, that's amazing. Nate McAvoy, I do commend you. I want to commend Mark Cuban. Have you heard about what he's doing? I love this. Mark Cuban is launching this new prescription drug pharmacy that's focused on offering discounted generic drugs. Look. This should not be a political statement, the one that I'm about to make. I think everybody knows that the pharmaceutical companies are ripping you off. Um, Somebody's ripping you off. The insurance companies love to blame the prescription drug companies. The prescription drug companies love to blame the doctors. The doctors love to blame the the, uh, hospitals. The bottom line is this. Millions of people in this country, even if they have insurance, millions of people are not able to afford a lot of prescriptions, including some that are lifesaving. And Mark Cuban has launched an online pharmacy that offers generic drugs at a discount. And he's launched the Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company. And this this company says it'll negotiate drug prices directly with the manufacturers to lower costs for consumers. Wouldn't it be nice if Medicare did that? If Medicare used their purchasing power to negotiate with the drug companies the way the Veterans Administration does? Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, But if you're looking for lower-priced drugs on your generic drug purchases, 
Go to costplusdrugs.com and sign up. All drugs are priced at, at cost plus 15%. So he's still going to make money, but he's not going to make the 5,000% markup that a lot of these other drug companies are making. I think this is a wonderful thing, and I'd love to see people, uh, I'd love to see other people do this. I must also commend sleep. New evidence suggesting that the more you sleep can actually play a role in weight loss. This may show why, this may go to show why I'm so heavy right now. Sleeping one extra hour has been linked to eating one, 270 fewer calories. This is a new study which adds to a growing volume of evidence suggesting sleep plays an important role in waste, what not waste, weight management. Experts say sleep could be a game changer for weight loss efforts. So to be more successful when it comes to weight loss goals, the secret might be a good night's sleep. So must commend sleep and all of you. If you did something good this week and you did not end up with a commendation, then hopefully you'll do a better job informing me of it next week. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We will go through some of your Facebook posts and we'll, uh, I don't know, delve a little bit more into some of the other subjects that we're covering and uh, Curtis did another wacky thing yesterday, which we might get into as well. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. Frank Marano. 's other side of midnight I'm Frank Moreno uh, if you want to be you want to be heard on anything we're talking about give me a call at 800-848-9222. that's one 848 WABC or you can um, like the Facebook page where I post a lot of the articles that we're covering and we're talking about uh, at facebook.com slash Moreno fan and we also have a Facebook group uh, that's um, uh, Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano, or if that's too much for you to remember, just find, search on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. I do um, I do like Twitter. Um, well, I sort of have a love-hate relationship with Twitter. I like to tweet, and I like to read other people's tweets. But I hate so many different aspects of Twitter. I don't like that they don't let you edit your tweets 
I subscribed to this new uh, Twitter Blue, I think it's called, and I was under the impression that it was going to let you edit your tweets. It doesn't. So I'm paying $2 just to make Twitter richer, and I still can't edit my tweets. That's all I want in life is just to be able to edit my tweets. Give me, give me 24 hours, right, and then say, all right, you're done after 24 hours. But no, there's no edit button on Twitter. And I am convinced that because I've said certain things about political figures, certain things about um, Russia, I am convinced that Twitter is suppressing my tweets from being seen. Uh, They call it shadow banning, and it's not a conspiracy. They really do do this. And for a lot of my tweets, I think the only way you're going to see them is if you go to my Twitter profile, at Frank Morano, and take a look there. So if you think there's anything that's worthy of retweeting, please go there and share it. Uh, Twitter.com slash Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Uh, John Antis commenting on the in the Facebook group. Frank, you, with your predilection for using arcane, obscure, although oftentimes correct language, are the last person I'd expect to refer to table tennis as ping pong. I denounce you for blaspheming this great Olympic sport. Wow, wow, wow. Well, I'll be honest. I, I, they're actually, from what I understand, there are some differences between table tennis and ping pong. Now, they're very similar games, and I think they use the same table. But um, uh, ping pong is not a pejorative term. In fact, if you read some of the articles about this, ping pong is actually derived from a, a essentially a Mandarin term. It's like ping pong something. But it's it's almost it's almost the same game. There are several differences. It, it one ping pong is much more informal, much more social. Um and a lot has to do with the serve in table tennis. Unlike ping pong, you almost throw you not almost you throw the ball up in one hand and hit it with your your other hand, just like you would in regular tennis. In ping pong, there's no expectations that you that you do that. Um, but you know that's the biggest difference that I'm aware of. In table tennis, the games go up to eleven points. In ping pong, which is what I play. The uh, ping pong go goes through twenty one points in table tennis. Players get two serves at a time. In ping pong, which is what I play, you get five serves at a time. So uh, when I use the term ping pong, that is very much intentional. It's not happenstance. All right, uh, let me play one other bit of Curtis drama before. Um, before I move on, and then we close the book on all things Curtis for today because we've given him enough attention. Um, so Curtis is supporting Andrew Giuliani for governor. And I'll be honest, I'm, I haven't made any sort of official announcement yet, but I'm leaning towards supporting Andrew Giuliani for governor as well. I like him a lot. And, um, I, you know, again, who cares who I'm supporting? But uh, I'm not a Republican. But I like Andrew Giuliani. I like uh, Tom Swazi a lot. And at least at this point, it doesn't appear that there's going to be another candidate emerging that I like more than those two candidates. And then again, they're all welcome on this show. Every gubernatorial candidate, Harry Wilson, Rob Astorino, Lee Zeldin, uh, Kathy Hochul, Tom Swazi, 
and Jamani Williams and uh, and Larry Sharp, by the way, the Libertarian. Every single candidate for governor that's on the ballot will be welcome on the show and uh, happily. And they're going to have an opportunity to say whatever they want to say about their platform. And I will ask them challenging questions. Andrew's already been on this show before, as have some of the other candidates. And uh, looking forward to having them all on. And I, I think whoever emerges will be a better candidate than Andrew Cuomo. But anyway, um, I'm just kind of giving you a window into where my head is at the moment. I'm leaning towards Andrew Giuliani. Anyway, Curtis is all in for Andrew Giuliani. So Curtis announces all weekend that he has tracked down this audio from 2011 of Lee Zeldin saying that Andrew Cuomo ought to be president. And now this is actually being, this was covered in the New York Post. There's an article in today's paper about this. This is largely a story um, that was, if not broken by Curtis, at least nurtured by Curtis. Okay. And this is a New York Post exclusive by Carl Campanile. And in this New York Post article, They quote this video and audio of Lee Zeldin saying the following. On a personal note, I want to say thank you to the governor for your unyielding leadership and vision and commitment to Long Islanders, not just the fishing community, but to all of us, to the taxpayers. Um, You know, I've been we've all been observing what's going on in other levels of government, and we've all been paying close attention to Washington and putting all politics aside. I would honestly say that if, uh, if if you were in the White House right now, our nation would be in a better place today than it is. Now, Curtis told me about that audio on Thursday. No, Friday. And I didn't hear it until yesterday. The way Curtis framed it to me was, I have audio of Lee Zeldin saying that oh, Andrew Cuomo should be president. Now, that's not what Lee Zeldin said there. And again, I, I'm not backing Lee Zeldin. Uh, if anybody, if I had to pick somebody at this point, I'd pick Andrew Giuliani. Let me again play for you what Lee Zeldin said. And again, this is from 2011. On a personal note, I want to say thank you to the governor for your unyielding leadership and vision and commitment to Long Islanders, not just the fishing community, but to all of us, to the taxpayers. Um, you know, I've been, we've all been observing what's going on in other levels of government. And we've all been paying close attention to Washington. And putting all politics aside, I would honestly say that if, uh, if, if you were in the White House right now, our nation would be in a better place today than it is. Okay, so that is not what, the way Curtis framed this to me privately is not what Lee Zeldin says there. What he said was, and you heard it, and putting all politics aside, first of all, don't you love when people say that? That right it when they're about to make a political comment, they say putting all politics aside. No, you're not putting all politics aside. You're making an overtly political comment. In fact, you're making one of the most political comments you can make about who should be president. If that's not political, what is Lee Zeldin? But anyway, what Lee Zeldin said is, and on this is August eighth, twenty eleven, uh, on a big press conference all about recreational fishing and putting all politics aside i would honestly say that if you were in the white house right now our nation would be in a better place today than it is now close quote 
He's not saying Andrew Cuomo should be president. He's saying in 2011 that Andrew Cuomo would would be doing a better job than the person who was president at that time, which I believe at the time was Barack Obama. So it's not it's it's no great accomplishment for a Republican to be saying another Democrat would be doing a better job than Barack Obama. Especially, you remember what a rock star Andrew Cuomo was in his first term? Well, at least the first two years. He had done some interesting things in his first two years. So that was, I mean, it is interesting to hear. Um, I always, I don't like, it, it, it. to me, it was too reminiscent of the politics of gotcha. You know, if there, when I hear someone's running for office, whatever the office is, I want to hear, all right, what's your plan for the state, the city, the country right now? I don't want to hear what you were saying about somebody 10 years ago or 20 years ago. People would bring that up. Or, you know, I was a Trump supporter. People would bring that up with me uh, about Donald Trump. Oh, he donated to Chuck Schumer. He donated to Kirsten Gillibrand. Well, when? Oh, five years ago, 10 years ago. Who cares? Who cares? I, I, you know, I'm kind of worried about what the problems with the country are now. Uh, so even if this were the kind of smoking gun that Curtis portrayed it as, I don't think it would be the biggest deal in the world. That being said, there was a really interesting discussion last night as I was driving in. Um, Stewart from Forest Hills calls into Curtis to sort of offer a little bit of retort to what Curtis was saying. Let's go to Stuart, who's calling from Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Stu. Hey, Curtis. Stuart from Forest Hills, one of your maximum donors. You probably know me. Now, I want to give you the counterpoint. When Lee Zeldin said that, that was 2011, when Cuomo was right of center. When you're, when you're condemning him, this is when we know about the nursing homes. We know he turned left with, with, with the bail reform. This was 11 years ago. Cuomo wasn't the same person. But if we put our money on... Whoa, 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 Cuomo wasn't the same person? He worked with the Republican Senate. He pushed the Republican Senate against the Democrats. He was right of center Democrat 10 years ago. You know that, Curtis. Come on. First off, did you give me money? I'm going to send that money back to you. And I'm going to send it to your COD. Get the hell out of here. They're everywhere, the apologists. They emerge like out of a swamp. He knew not what he was doing. He said that Andrew Cuomo should become the president of the United States. That's when Cuomo was nice to Republicans. Oh, and you wouldn't vote for a Republican? He's a plant. I'm one of your best donors. Guess what, pal? You gave me $2.50. I'm going to send it back to you. Maybe with an extra 50 cents, you can get yourself a Metro card. Can you believe this? Because they know I found it. Ah, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Now, um, in all seriousness, Curtis is exactly the kind of person, if you're a, a political candidate, you want in your camp because he's enthusiastic, he's energetic. He actually puts some shoe leather behind your campaign if he's backing you, right? He's all about it, right? And um, and that's great. 
And a lot of people, sometimes even if they're endorsing you, they just put their name out there and then they don't do anything. That's not the kind of person that Curtis is. Curtis actually goes out there and he's enthusiastic and he puts his all into it. And I think that's what he's doing with Andrew now. And I, and I think that's great. And Andrew's lucky to have his support. And between Curtis and, and uh, Rudy Giuliani, those two may actually be able to deliver the Republican nomination for Andrew. Now, I got an email here from that guy that Curtis so rudely hung up on, Stewart. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read you this whole thing. But after he hung up on him, um, this fella emails me. He says, in light of Curtis being so uncalled for nasty to me and cutting me off so fast in anger and me being a maximum donor of his last year who has many photos with him, which he sent me, and walked miles giving out hundreds of campaign flyers for him throughout Forest Hills, Kew Gardens, and Kew Garden Hills. Yes, I would like to take Curtis up on his offer slash statement to send my total of $2,000 in campaign donations back to me. I sent Curtis, I believe, six checks between May of 2021 and October 2021, totaling $2,000, the maximum allowed. And I even personally handed over to Curtis a check for $1,000 in front of his WABC radio office building in September of 2020 for his wonderful wife's animal rescue work. And he says, Frank, can you possibly kindly bring this up with Curtis? I don't know how else to contact him. And he might still be angry at me, though I'm not angry at him. Curtis should have my home address on his donor list from last year to return my $2,000 in campaign funds. In order for him to keep his word that he gave on the radio regarding me, I could use the funds back, especially in light of the nastiness. But I have no hard feelings with Curtis. He would have had been a godsend to New York City as mayor. Let me tell you something. Curtis said he would give this guy his money back. Curtis ought to give this guy his money back. And uh, I hope, Stuart, I hope you will check in with me on a weekly basis and email me so that I can begin each show on Monday announcing whether or not you've gotten your money back. Until Stewart gets his money back, I will be banging the drum to have Curtis return this $2,000. Because, it, you know, look, he this is a detailed email here. And this guy makes a very, very strong case as to why he's right on the facts and why he's he's morally right. And Curtis... This guy has given him $3,000 between his campaign and his charity. And Curtis brushes him off like yesterday's dandruff. He drops him like a bad habit. And this guy, this guy's entitled to his money back. So, look, if, um, if Curtis in the coming weeks refuses to give Stewart his money back, I will launch a GoFundMe to repay all of the, um, I don't know how you would uh, refer to them, the disgruntled donors to Curtis Lee's campaign. And I have a feeling if he, if this is what, how he treats a $2,000 donor, I have a feeling there might be quite a few disgruntled donors. We'll see. Give me a call. Tell me uh, how you think Curtis should handle this. In my view, this guy should have a, a check tomorrow.
800-848-WABC. See, the thing is, on a practical level, I don't know what entity Curtis would use to pay this guy back. Curtis probably did think it was a $2.50 donation that he had on him. It's going to take Curtis a while to scrounge together $2,000. I'll tell you that. Because he doesn't have a campaign account. I guess maybe he could pay him through his Schumer pack. He's got this anti-Schumer pack, so I don't know. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ron Kunkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Like I said, another great show. Before I get to, like, Steve from Manhattan says the meat and potatoes, I want to uh, wish my wife a very happy Valentine's Day. And also, very nice. uh, my daughter, My daughter, uh, she's got this new boyfriend, uh, first boyfriend, and it's a, a real respectful kid, respectful to my family, and I uh, wish her a happy Valentine's Day. Now, getting to the point, I love your show, and I listen to you, whether I have laryngitis or whatever. I'm Thank you. To you. And we actually listened to your podcast last night during the Super Bowl. I wanted uh, her boyfriend to hear me on the radio on your show. I can't express. <laughs> I tried to get into Curtis. And I do listen to him, and I know it's all fun and games, and I'm not taking it what he's saying to you. But if you're a person like uh, – I hear a lot of the listeners when they call in, they are actually believing this, and they're getting all upset, and then a lot of people talking a lot of smack about you, which is not true, because you're really a truly a great guy. And uh, that's, I think, a sense to it, and I'm not writing Curtis out, because I called him twice. And he's a very nice gentleman. My dad met him years ago on the train. And, you know, I respect what he does. I think he would have made a great mayor. But enough's enough already. You know, just let this go and just get some platforms on your show that are interesting. And stop picking on Frank. Have a great night, Frank, and be safe out there. Well, thank you, Joe. And Again, let me reiterate, I'm not bothered at all by uh, Curtis mentioning me. Curtis should mention me as much as he wants. As much as as often as he cares to, I could use the publicity. By the way, I want to thank Tom, uh, one of our most devoted listeners in California, who informs me. And uh, I guess maybe this is my own um, failure to read articles comprehensively. He informs me that it was not the Treasure Island Casino in Vegas that tracked down the jackpot winner. It was the Gaming Control Board. So I want to amend the previous list of commendations to get uh, to get the casino, uh, the gaming control board, a commendation, not necessarily the Treasure Island Casino there. So thank you, Tom, for pointing that out. 800-848-9222. Greg is in Ohio. Hello, Greg. Hello. Hello. First time caller. Well, welcome aboard there, Greg. Thanks yeah, for calling. I listened to Chris last night, first time caller there, too. I'm out here in Ohio, up here uh, about 20 miles south of the Canton uh, Hall of Fame. Wonderful. Great. Terrific. Yeah. Uh, I just want to make a quick comment. Okay, Jake, uh, you talk quick, about that slow, guy that whatever. Sent, you, uh, you talked about that guy that sent a uh, $2,000 donation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Still. Guy's a nutcase. Wait, Stewart is or why Curtis would you is? Give, why would you give a politician $2,000? Well, because, I, I, you know, I've given $2,000 to politicians. Uh, you do it because, yeah. because unfortunately, it costs money to run for office. And if you don't yeah. do it, that puts the candidate that you're, that you're supporting at a severe disadvantage. 
So there's a guarantee on it? Then? No, there's not. There's not. Uh, I mean, there's, All right, then. Yeah, you lost well, your money. <laughs> all right. Fair, well, fair enough, Greg. Uh, but, you fair know, the, here's the difference, though. You're right. Here's the difference. Curtis right. offered. He offered to give that money back. That's the difference. He sh- he offered to refund the money. That's the difference. 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. And, again, if you want to be heard on this, uh, you can join the Facebook group. Um, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. If you want to also comment on the the Lee Zeldin audio that I played you, whether it is as damning as Curtis says or not, tell me what you think of that. 800-848-WABC. Dave is in Dumont. Hello, Dave. Frank. Dave. What's going on? You tell me, brother. I'll tell you. Kudos to Curtis. He played last night on his segment about 3, 3.30 in the morning. My call to you about the fact that you cut me off, and I was reading the doctor poem last week, and I paused, and you cut me off. Wait, there was more to it? There was more to it? You should have listened to the rest. I was pausing because I wanted everybody to laugh and then hear the rest. How could you think... Stop calling me Valerie is the end of the poem. Uh, Dave, War and Peace wasn't as long as that poem. You know what some of these old-time poets, they go four pages long. I mean, everybody's got short attention spans nowadays. My poems are short, concise, and to the point. Dave, uh, remind me, you're a published poet? I'm a published poet. And what's the name of your, if people want to check out your book of poetry, what is it? It's called Never Dull Poetry, and it's on Amazon, Kindle, Nook, or Barnes & Noble. You know, I, I can't help but think if somebody buys, after hearing your poetry, Dave, if someone buys your book, uh, Never Dull Poetry, and they pay money, they should be entitled to their money back for false advertising, personally. 800-848-WABC. Lamar is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Lamar. Okay, hello, Professor Morano. This is okay. My name's okay, Lamar Mitchell. Hey, Lamar. First time calling you. Welcome. Right. Welcome. Okay. All right. No, I just want to say, okay, look, Frank. All your earnings, right? Or, okay, or better yet, okay, the ratings that you receive, they're yours. They're yours. You don't have to share them with nobody. Well, thanks, Lamar. Well, first of all, I, I all do right. I do share them with. Uh, Two two entities, right? One is uh, John Katsimatidis for having the wisdom and uh, the generosity to give me the opportunity to do this show. Because without okay. him, uh, I would be uh, speaking to myself uh, somewhere oh, yeah. now, right? And the other is <laughs> okay. you, is is you and everybody that listens. Because if if you guys weren't interested in doing this show, our show would be just as lowly rated as what's on WOR or the other stations. Oh, so I really owe a good portion of it to you. Uh, and look, and again, I don't think anybody should take Curtis's criticism to heart because it's just his way of mentioning that the ratings are, are very high. But Kurt, the ratings that he alludes to, the 12.8 share that we did for the holiday book, um, that yeah. that is that does not include Saturday and Sunday. It's just Monday through Friday. But I appreciate you mentioning that, Lamar. Okay, yeah. No, hey, because <laughs> you, just, hey, you deserve it. Like, you, you really deserve it. 
just the content of guests that you have, like, okay, very mesmerized. You know, they're, they're intriguing. Well, thanks. They're man. intriguing, like the guy Mark Shaw, all right, and others, which I listed on a card that I sent you. Did you receive that? I, oh, yes. Yes, I did. I actually, I think I read a portion of that uh, last Tuesday, actually. Okay. All right. Okay. But Lamar, thanks for calling and yeah. thanks for your supportive words and for taking the time to write. Uh, we'll continue with your calls in just a minute. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Hey, speaking of some of those mesmerizing guests, uh, for, uh, at 4.30, Keith Abloh will be here. We'll talk about why so many seemingly successful people are killing themselves. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. The great Elvis Presley. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. It's Valentine's Day. Hopefully you're doing something fun, something worthy of uh, commemorating the tremendous life and work of St. Valentine. Uh, so yesterday was the Super Bowl, and uh, we are able to say the Super Bowl as we as long as we don't use, make money from that term, the Super Bowl. So there we have it. Now. Yesterday, uh, you may recall, I had explained how we were going to have a Super Bowl party at uh, at my house, and this was going to be the last hurrah, the last hurrah for any Sunday social gathering at our home. And it was grandfathered in because we had made this decision a while ago, and my wife was was adamant that she wanted this to be a small crowd. Now, how small is small? Well, we were looking at maybe, you know, 15 people, and even my wife, Rachel, felt that was too many people. So, uh, I, you know, it's one of those things. I sent out an invitation to a bunch of people before my wife asked me to keep it small. And then a whole bunch of people wrote back to me right after I sent that email and said, well, I'll try to make it. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if I'm in town. So... After my wife says, please don't make this a big thing, a lot of those invitations had already gone out. So uh, we spent a lot of time on uh, – now, uh, my wife realized, even though we were all, we, we, we she was thinking we were only going to have between 15 and, and 20 people, she realized that, all right, this was going to be a lot of people, right? This was going to be more people than she was anticipating. So we spent a good portion of uh, Sunday moving things around, Right. We moved the television set uh, from our bedroom into the bar room so that we had two television sets that people could watch, right? And this is where people didn't all congregate in one area. And as it's funny. So as soon as, uh, as, soon as it started snowing, when my wife came down um, after she woke up on Sunday and she sees it snowing outside, she gets all excited. I said, honey, what's, what, why are you so excited? She says, it's snowing. I said, yes, so what? She says, hopefully that means 
fewer people will come. And then, um, and then, sure enough, people are texting me throughout the day. What can we bring? What can I bring? Can I also bring so and so? And my friend Dan, who was coming in from uh, Westchester, I'm telling Rachel that he wants to bring his mother. And um, she says, "What? He's still coming? He's coming all the way from Westchester? Doesn't he see it snowing out?" And then, sure enough, a couple of people did cancel due to the weather, which she was thrilled about. And again, my wife is a very good host. You'd never know that she wanted none of these people in her house. You'd never know. And then, um, you know, it's funny when you when you're a kid, you always picture the Super Bowl being on late, right? But it really is not late. I mean, 10 p.m. is not that late. I still was able to, um, you know, help clean up and and then you know come in here, and. Um, it was interesting, though. I, so I asked my, my wife. She she was very adamant. She didn't want anybody coming before 530. The game started at 630. She didn't want anybody coming before 530. And I said, who do you think is going to be here first? And she says, oh, I know who's going to be here first. I said, who? It's going to be someone annoying. And I, <laughs> I said, who? And she says, I don't know. But it's just going to be someone annoying. It's not going to be somebody that is going to be helpful or someone that I enjoy spending time with. It's going to be somebody that I now have to entertain until more interesting people get here. But that wasn't the case. There were non-annoying people that arrived uh, that arrived uh, before. Now, before the guests arrived, uh, young Carmine was crying a little bit. And, uh, I, I, you know, I talked to him, even though I'm not sure how much he can really understand. And I am saying, oh, come on, Carmine, you know, you don't want to you don't want to cry too much when everybody's here. People are going to think you're not well behaved and they're going to have a negative impression of you. And she said to him, no, cry like crazy because we want these people out of our house as quickly as possible. And then she had to do a disclaimer to me. Right. Um, And this was a good portion of our Sunday today. She said, uh, you got to tell people once you if you try and go to sleep after the game or even if you don't. They've got to leave after the game. There can't be any of this lingering. Fine. Okay. Uh, now, a lot of people did come. And a lot of people brought brought food. We brought in a, an untouched cannoli cake. A, so please try that. It's in there. Did you try that? Alex, you got to try it. Try it. Because otherwise it's going to go to waste. It's in the it's in the kitchen. But Ooh, yes. <clears throat> some good – and there's a lot of other good food that people brought. But one of the highlights of the of the evening to me – was uh, my very good friend, the minority whip of the city council, Joe Borelli, a leading Republican pundit. He goes on Fox, he goes on CNN, he goes on radio all over the country. He came over, and he's not that interested in the football game, but he was interested in potentially playing ping pong. He and I usually play on the weekend. He comes over Saturday. He has never beaten me. I mean, excuse me, I've never beaten him. He's beaten me probably 20 or 30 games in a row. Right. It's not an exaggeration. Never beaten him. But, you know, I've been practicing and everything. And I was eager to, you know, eager to play him again. And he was very eager to play. So we go down to play and he beats and I beat him. Close game, but I beat him. First time I ever beat him. Then we play again. Second game, another close game. He beats me. Then we halftime happens. And during halftime or shortly thereafter, we go back down to my basement and we play the rubber match. And now, no exaggeration, 14 people gather in my basement. And this is an unfinished basement. There are 
There are mice running around. There are bugs running around. It, it's not really conducive to, you know, people just standing around. Fourteen people gather around to watch this mammoth ping pong match between minority leader Borelli and me. And it was something. This was a match for the ages. You know, um, Curtis and his callers refer to me as the Forrest Gump of ping pong. I'm not a super good ping pong player. I'm a decent ping pong player. You'd think the enthusiasm that I'd have for it, uh, that I'd be better. I'm not. I'm just average at best, maybe slightly above average. Beat Joe Borelli in the rubber in the rubber match for this. So I beat Joe Borelli two out of three ping pong games. Very, very happy to do that for the first time. And um, it was it was very satisfying, I must say. To, to do it in front of a capacity crowd like that was really, really a lot of fun. So the other, there were two other uh, aspects of the drama of this game, of the Super Bowl party. One was I wanted to organize a uh, a pool, but of course I waited until the day of the game to do it, and then I didn't have all the boxes sold, so I ended up buying a whole bunch of these boxes for me, my wife. We set up a cap of five each, so I bought five. I gave five for my wife, and then um, I gave five to each of my brothers. And uh, sure enough, I didn't win any of them. Neither did Rachel, neither did my brother. And I'm still trying to collect the money from some of these other people. Rachel kept cautioning me, don't do that, don't do that. And of course I did. So uh, it was a fun party nevertheless. Hopefully uh, you did well. Hopefully you won some money. Until next hour, your influence counts. So use it. Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It is Valentine's Day. As such, I've asked our own Valentine, Deb Valentine, to join us in a few minutes and talk about what this day is like for her. Meantime, uh, yesterday was Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday is a very big day for the consumption of pizza at Super Bowl parties and so forth. So, Matt, I guess you were here. You didn't go to a Super Bowl party or anything. No, sorry. Yeah. Um, did I invite you to, to mine? Uh, no, no, we had a very, very strict <laughs> guest list. Very I strict. know, very yeah, small, very, very, very tough. Um, I, I think we got about twenty-five people ultimately, but um, it was it it snowballed quickly. These 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 things snowball quickly. So it's interesting. Friend of mine, Frankie Fontano, when I saw him last week, he said that he was going to bring wings to the Super Bowl party. I said, great, good, good. People love wings. Great. A lot of people brought things. Somebody brought that cannoli cake, which is now in our kitchen at the workplace. Everybody should try it. But uh, my friend Vinny brought corn dogs. Um, different people brought different things. My sister-in-law, who's kosher, we had some kosher food for her. People brought beer, wine. Uh, my friend uh, Jason Goldman, who's the chief of staff to the Speaker of the City Council, brought a beautiful bottle of uh, Stoli Elite, my favorite vodka. And different people brought different things. So Frank Fontaine now announces he's going to bring wings. So on Friday, my friend Brendan, who is a uh, municipal worker who was off for Lincoln's birthday, we're previewing the attendees, we're previewing the menu, and 
he says, you know, all right, who's bringing what? Okay. And uh, I said, oh, Frank Fontaine's bringing wings. And he says, oh, Frank's bringing wings. He says, all right, well, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring wings too. And it was like, almost like a slap in the face kind of. It's like, oh, I don't trust that guy's wings. I'm bringing my own wings. He was, oh, yeah, Frank's not good enough to bring me wings. I'm going to bring my own wings. Now, maybe he didn't mean it that way, but that's the way it kind of sounded. And lo and behold, i doing all sorts of research for this show this weekend. And I find there's a big problem with chicken wing inflation. This is, this is the God's honest truth. There is a huge problem with chicken wing inflation. And look, chicken wings are very important this, this time of year when it comes to the Super Bowl. People love wings. And lo and behold, thank goodness, Brendan did bring his own wings because Frank Fontaine brought no wings. There's all these debates about what constitutes, uh, what, what people like in terms of wings. Some people like hot, some people like mild. And there's all sorts of things. Now, Neil Irwin, who is a correspondent for Axios, he's the chief economic correspondent, the used to write for the Times. He's a very seasoned economic reporter. He wrote an interesting article called The Great Buffalo Wing Inflation. So when demand for wings surge, but demand for the rest of chickens is steady, it creates big price swings and a fun study in microeconomics. So relative demand for fatty, rich, messy parts of the chicken has surged versus the healthy parts of the chicken that most efficiently deliver lean protein. So wing prices are soaring. Not just in absolute terms, but relative to other parts of the chicken. And that got me wondering, when I read this article, is that why Frank Fontaine didn't bring the wings? And uh, I asked him. I asked him about it. In fact, I didn't even have to ask him. He brought it up on his own. And this guy won the pool, which was subsidized with, with uh, like, I don't know, $150 worth of my money. But... Frank said, oh, I was going to bring wings, but the wing place said they weren't going to have the wings ready till 7 p.m. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical of that. They're not going to have wings ready on Super Bowl Sunday until 7 p.m. Is it possible that you waited until 6 p.m. to call them? Is that possible? I, th- I think it might be. But anyway, so wing prices are soaring, not just in absolute terms, but relative to the other parts of the chicken. The national retail price of frozen chicken wings was $3.71 a pound last week. That is 48% higher than a year ago. In the same span, follow me, follow me here. In the same span, fresh, boneless, skinless chicken breast was up only 7.6%. So wings, real, real buffalo wings are up 48%. Chicken breast is up only 7.6%. And here's something that's going to blow your mind even more. Whole chickens, price of a whole chicken, actually down slightly. So the culprit here is not just that it was the Super Bowl and people love having wings and people are having big Super Bowl parties again. No. 
Wings travel well. That makes them particularly appealing when people don't want to eat in. Pop-up restaurants and ghost kitchens have now sprouted up to fulfill that demand, including Applebee's Cosmic Wings delivery business. I think that's a place that Frank Fontano said was not open until 7 p.m. Now, what was interesting to me in reading this article was it wasn't clear to me where boneless chicken wings came in. Matt, are you a chicken wing guy at all? Sure. Do you prefer the traditional wings? Or yes. Do you prefer boneless wings? I don't like the boneless wings. You don't like I feel like I'm, even though I know I'm getting the same amount, I feel like I'm getting less. With the boneless? With the boneless. Okay. Well, fair enough. Now, it's, it is very interesting in that there's really, there's really no such thing as boneless chicken wings. And, I, again, a guy that I'm embarrassed that I haven't interviewed before is a real crusader in this regard. This is a gentleman named Ander Christensen. Do you remember Ander Christensen? You might have heard about him a year and a half ago when he was testifying in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, before the city council there about how their community should handle boneless chicken wings. This is what Ander Christensen said. Thank you. Okay. I promise I won't take up too much of your time here. My name is Andrew Christensen. Uh, I live at 1212 Twin Ridge Road. Lincoln has the opportunity to be a social leader in this country. We have been casually ignoring a problem that has gotten so out of control that our children are throwing around names and words without even understanding their true meaning and treating things as, as though they're normal. I go into nice family restaurants and I see people throwing this name around and pretending as though everything is just fine. I'm talking about boneless chicken wings. I propose that we as a city remove the... Excuse me, I'm trying to... Yeah. Excuse me. Come on. I propose that we as a city remove the name boneless wings from our menus and from our hearts. These are our reasons why. Number one, nothing about boneless chicken wings actually come from the wing of a chicken. We would be disgusted if a butcher was mislabeling their cuts of meats, but then we go around and pretending as though the breast of the chicken is its wing. Number two, boneless chicken wings are just chicken tenders, which are already boneless. I don't go to order boneless tacos. I don't go and order boneless club sandwiches. I don't ask for boneless auto repair. It's just what's expected. And then number three, we need to raise our children better. Our children are raised being afraid of having bones attached to their meat. That's where meat comes from. It grows on bones. We need to teach them that the wing of a chicken is from a chicken, and it's delicious. I propose that we rename boneless wings in the city of Lincoln. We can call them buffalo-style chicken tenders. We can call them wet tenders. We can call them saucy nugs or trash. We can take these steps and show the country that where we stand, and that we understand that we've been living a lie for far too long, and we know it because we feel it in our bones. Thank you. Now, I I do have to say, uh, to me, the guy makes a good point. Why would you call boneless chicken wings chicken wings? I think buffalo-style chicken tenders is a fine, fine description for them. And I really wish... Look, I don't know what the city of Lincoln, Nebraska, ultimately did there. I don't think they took legislative action. And I and I recognize that a lot of people just viewed this fella as maybe having a little bit of fun. But I think he's right. 
I mean, if you can just call boneless wings wings when they aren't wings, when they're from a chicken breast, what good does the term wing have? I don't think you should be able to. Uh, to me, uh, are you able to uh, – uh, ribs, what about ribs? I, I think maybe they do do the same thing with ribs. I think you should not be able to call boneless wings wings. I like buffalo-style chicken tenders as a name for it, right? I mean, uh, to me, I think that guy is absolutely right. And we are going to have to have him on the show one of these days because uh, he brings up a number of good points. Hey, speaking of inflation, um, there the, 7 in 10 Americans say they're living paycheck to paycheck now. Can you believe that? 7 in 10 Americans? Say they're living paycheck to paycheck. This is according to a new study. Um, it's getting harder for people to save any of their money. Seven in ten people say they're living pay in, paycheck to paycheck. Recent survey of 2007 adults found that 63% don't see themselves reaching a level of financial security that will allow them to live the lifestyle they want. I'll be honest with you. I don't know where you fall on this. I am one of these 63%. And again, I it's, I don't make a lot of money, but I'm not, uh, you know, I make a decent amount of money. And uh, I think in my case, uh, and maybe this is the case with you, I, you know, I spend almost every dollar I get. When, when I get my paycheck, and I, I'm not spending it frivolously. I mean, you have bills. You got the mortgage. You got the utilities. You got this. You got that. When I get my paycheck, it's out the door. That day, I mean, you got the car payment. You got the, so, I mean, if they said to me tomorrow, tough, you know, you, you no longer have a job here, I don't know that I'd be able to, unless I found a job relatively quickly. I don't know that I'd be able to uh, pay my bills. Curious if you're in the same boat. And then uh, lastly, see, you notice I like to do this in the 4 o'clock hour. I like to throw a hodgepodge of, of uh, a smorgasbord of subjects at you. But uh, I want to bring this to your attention and then tell me, and this strikes me as an appropriate thing to to talk about on Deb Valentine's Day, but a newly married woman received a shock when she opened a wedding present from one of her closest friends, and it has left both her and the Internet feeling seriously conflicted. Wedding gifts are supposed to serve as a thank you, token of good luck, to the newlywed couple as they embark on their life together. However, one guest instead used their gift to settle a score with the bride. Writing in a post shared to uh, Mumsnet, the newly married woman explained how her close friend handed her an envelope on her big day containing a card, but no money. Something else. Her wedding card included a note that her wedding gift is those concert tickets that I never paid her for, close quote. So now the Internet is in a whole is in two camps about whether this was tacky or appropriate, because according to the Post, around eight years ago, they had gone to one of those 90s band reunion concerts. The ticket was one hundred and sixty dollars each. And for some reason, the bride says she never paid her back. I assume I completely forgot, but I never paid her. So this woman, this friend, has been holding out 
for getting reimbursed for eight years. I can't help but think that maybe the wedding was not the appropriate time to seek to settle scores on this. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. Look, it is Valentine's Day, and uh, we have my Valentine and yours in studio because she is Deb Valentine, our morning news anchor. Hello, Deb. Well, it's great to be with you on this Valentine's Day, Frank. So now, do you get any sort of special treatment since your name is Valentine on this day? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, in the end, it has turned out to be a great name for radio. I can imagine. make it up. Everybody says, oh, what was your real maiden name? I say it's Valentine. But it wasn't always so easy, Frank. So it's not a stage name. You're stating that It is not a stage name. (laughs) No, it's not. No. When I was growing up, you know, kids being kids, they made so much fun of me in grade school. Oh, hey, you had a Valentine. You know, hey, Valentine, you had a holiday name for you. And, oh, how come your parents didn't name you happy? You know what I did? I turned it around. I turned it around. When I was in high school, I wrote a paper that I ended up winning an award for in high school. Surprisingly, all of a sudden, my name's called at graduation, right? Took a psychology class as an elective in high school. Long story short, wrote a paper about people with odd names and what effect it has on your personality. So I did this addendum in the back of the paper, and I listed these crazy names that parents name their kids. Why would they do it, right? Why would you name your kid Happy Valentine? If your last name is Nixon, please don't name your kid Richard. Richard, At least you name your baby Carmine, right? right? I mean, if your last name is Christmas, these parents, why do they do it? You're setting your kid up for, for a lot of bullying in school. Don't name your baby Mary These right. are, if your last name is Christmas, right? My goodness. So Why how do did, do how did having the name Valentine, the last name Valentine, affect you? I think it gave me a sense of humor. I, well, you know I, what I, mean? I would agree. I, I find you very humorous. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got to you have to let it kind of roll off your your sleeve, right? You don't get up, you know, just. What, do people still tease you about the name Valentine? No, not anymore. People now, as an adult, people say, Valentine, what a great name for radio. So it is in cool. the end, it turned out to be a great thing. Do you, did Bobby Valentine's success as a Major League Baseball manager help pave the way for the mainstreaming of your last name at all? It did, perhaps. I have actually been asked, oh, your brother Bobby. I'm like, no, 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 he's not my brother. Are you guys related I, at You all? know what? I used to work with Kevin Bur- Burkhart. You know Kevin Burkhart sure, sure, on Fox? Sure. So we used to work together out in New Jersey, and I had him going for at least three months when we started working together that Bobby was my brother. He's like, really? Could you call him? We need an interview. I'm like, let me see where he is this weekend. So that that was a joke I played on him. And finally, after about three months of not getting the interview, I, I finally had to say, hey, Kevin, he's not really my brother. Well, that's, no. that's cool. Uh, so what does Deb Valentine do on Valentine's Day? Oh, goodness. Well, of course, uh, we're coming up with the early news. So for Deb, <laughs> you work. I'm gonna make. I work, and it means I'll make a nice dinner for my husband. I'll try and stay up till at least seven o'clock when he gets home. And you know what? It's really because of our hours and our obligations. It's, it's going to be kind of a quiet. Those day. hours are tough. We'll go out to dinner next weekend. That's yeah. yeah no, yeah. it's it's Monday and uh, the it's combination Monday. of those hours. Yeah, are tough. I think most people feel that way too. I, yeah, please. Go and ahead. and no, I was going to say, you know, and insofar as getting a gift, should you get your husband a gift, or is it really the the guy's obligation to get their wife or their significant other a gift? Yeah, I, I mean, what what's your take on that? I think it's really the man's yeah, obligation I to get so. the woman a gift. I think I agree. I Although, agree. you know, I think just a card and doing something nice for somebody means a lot more than 
buying a $5,000 bracelet. Oh, sure. Well, you so know? what's a, an example of a nice thing that a husband can do along with a card that you would think is a nice thing? Oh, just doing something nice for someone that you – know, something that you enjoy. It's like at Christmas. I always say buy a gift for somebody that's going to give them pleasure all year mm. long. I love – there's a certain perfume that I love to wear. I said, John, just buy me the perfume. It'll make me happy every day. That's nice. So just something simple. It doesn't have to be expensive. I don't know if you heard the um, the story I was telling as you were walking in here, probably not because you were heavily immersed in early news show prep, but this, this bride got a gift – um, got a card for her wedding from one of her closest friends and who said that her gift was the concert tickets that she never paid her back for uh, eight years ago. Now, what is your take on that? Do you think that's a, that, that, that's a, a vindictive gift or is that, you know, finally an appropriate score to be settled? There? No, I think it's pretty catty. And so do I. So yeah, really. Yeah. Not not nice. Yeah. Did you have anybody that went to your wedding and didn't give a gift? Hmm. You you're not gonna believe this. I will believe it. You're you not gonna me, believe, believe this. It. My parents. You're kidding. I no, I kid this. you not. Because I made a deal with my father when I was single. I said, Dad, help me buy a house. Ah. I need fifty thousand dollars to buy a house because I wanted to put down a whopping amount of money. I said, I'll put down, you know, X amount. I said, in exchange for you giving me anything for my wedding, I said, I'll get married in the backyard, whatever it is, right, when I get married. I said, I want to buy a house. I said, I added up all the money I had paid for rent over the years. Sure. And that, then now this is 30 years ago. So $65,000. Plus, I was paying student wow. loans. I said, I'm throwing this money away. What am I getting for it? I said, I want to buy a house and begin to build equity. I said, I need $50,000 to cover all of this, put down 30%, et cetera. He said, okay. My mother was absolutely opposed. And I said to my father, she said, are you going to be able to handle the cost of the house? I worked three jobs. I said, yes. I still have the house. Long story, it's paid for. Long story short, right? So he gave me $50,000. This caused a little turmoil (laughs) between my parents. Oh, boy. Long story short, I said, the deal is I get a card when I get married, and they kept that. The deal was the deal when I got married. I received a card from my parents because they'd already given you. The because 50, they had already given me. 50, well, I think that. I mean that. That's not like they stiffed you. Right? No, not at all. Well, that's not nice. at all. That's nice. Well, happy Valentine's well, happy, Day. Yes, happy we're honored Valentine's to have Day. you as our Valentine. And a happy Valentine's Day, Day to all our listeners that we love. Absolutely. Uh, here, Deb, coming up at five. By the way. Uh, where she will be keeping you well-informed about everything that's happening in the news. Quite a bit happening in the news. Dr. Keith Ablo joining me in 10 minutes. We're going to do the $1,000 Minute in just seven minutes. But a couple of people have been patiently holding. I want to take a few quick calls at 800-848-9222. Kevin is in Boston. Hello, Kevin. Jeez, what a balancing act you're doing. Uh, Multi-districts uh, there, uh, Frank. Frank. Thank you. Nice story with... With Debbie, Miss Valentine, and maybe uh, later on in the morning you could do a little segment on the virtue of St. Valentine's Day. And I'm like you, Frank. One quick note, I'm like a sailor. I've already gone to bed after the Super Bowl, though I do not have a newborn baby to contend with. And uh, by 4.30, the race is on for me to get into the city. So... Thank you. The last time I called was 
on the integrity of our elections and where it is so important for us to get that straightened out that we can have assurance that 2022, the midterm, is going to go our way. But you moved me many weeks ago on how you changed my opinion. Uh, It wasn't Rockstone, but I had the media. I was falling to the media with the drumbeats with the Ukraine. And uh, you just gave a different perspective, a wide-ranging. I'm trying to think actually where Putin's been being put out there as this uh, big bad wolf. And that's not all the case. There's two sides to every story uh, in everything we do, whether or not it's some of the trivial things between you and Curtis. Uh, there's two sides. What do you have to say? And do you recall myself? Uh, unusually, I sent you a uh, uh, just a congratulate uh, note with your newborn and uh, to include it in my email electronic address was uh, uh, my sentiments on the show the previous night. Well, uh, thank you, Kevin. Yes, I remember that. Now, I'm, well, I'm pleased that you're listening. I'm pleased that you're enjoying the show. And uh, look, I'm happy to. I'm happy that you agree with me on the Russia-Ukraine situation. But, and thanks for the call, Kevin, even more so than agreeing with me, I'd rather you disagree with me as long as you listen, right? So I, I want to be very clear. I am not here to change anybody's mind about anything. You want to disagree with me on every subject under the sun? God bless you. Makes no difference to me. All I'm asking is that you listen to everything that we put out there, whether it's about chicken wings uh, or or Eastern Europe. Listen with an open mind. I like to put the information out there, and then you make your own decision. A lot of reasonable people, and look, we try to give you a lot of different perspectives. Look, the perspective that from General Wesley Clark on Russia and Ukraine was certainly different from the perspective of Colonel Douglas McGregor. The perspective of George Beebe, certainly different than the perspective of Russell Bentley. So look, you put all these perspectives out there, help you be informed, well-rounded, and then hopefully you make your own decision. Um, You know, it is what it is. All right, we're going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000 right now. Because several of you might be in the same position that I'm in, living paycheck to paycheck, like 7 out of 10 Americans are. So if you are the seventh caller to 1-800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC, then we're going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000 in 60 seconds. Next. You have to answer 10 questions in 60 seconds. 800-848-9222. And then we're going to talk with Dr. Keith Ablo. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. Look, here he comes now. Let's ask him. Hey, Murray, is it true Betty's wearing your ring? Mm-hmm. Who's that banging on the piano? I don't know. You going out with her tonight? You bet your fur. By the way, where'd, where'd you meet her? I met her one day at the laundromat. She turned around and smiled at me. You get the picture?
picture? Yes, we see. And that's when I fell in love with the leader of the Leader of the Laundromat by the Detergents, one of the great novelty songs of all time. And you know what? Honestly, on its own merit, maybe it's not as great as uh, Leader of the Pack, but I think it's still pretty good. Still sounds pretty good musically. All right. Uh, It's Valentine's Day. We're going to check in with Dr. Keith Abloh on a whole host of mental health health issues in just a moment and uh, find out what he's up to these days. It's always something interesting. That's the the thing you can always count on with Keith Abloh. But first, I want to give one lucky person an opportunity to win some money. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morales. Thank you very much, Chris Libertini. Let's say hello to Tom in Hasbrook Heights. Hello, Tom. Hello, Frank. How are you doing? I am uh, I, I'm doing just peachy. Thank you, Tom. Uh, are you familiar with this contest before, Tom? Have you heard it? Oh, yeah. All right. So you're, you're, you're primed for bear. You know what you're doing. Uh, I don't know if I know what I'm doing, but oh, we're ready. Okay. All right. So the timer is going to start as soon as uh, I ask you the first question, and uh, you're going to have an opportunity to answer 10 questions in 60 seconds. You get them all right. You win $1,000. Uh, don't overthink them. People tend to psych themselves up. They get nervous. We've had a couple of winners, so it is possible. You ready to go? Yep. All right. What sporting event occurred yesterday? Super Bowl. What continent is Canada on? North America. What member of the Beatles was assassinated by Mark David Chapman? Uh, John Lennon. Who was the last Catholic pope elevated to sainthood? Uh, uh, pope John. Uh, unfortunately, the last Catholic pope elevated to sainthood was Pope John Paul II. Unfortunately, Tom. Oh, I, I said Pope John. Well, no, but Pope John is different than John Paul II. There's a Pope John. There's like John the Twenty Third, um, who's you know a recent pope, and then there's John Paul the uh, the Second, which is a little. Different. Are you Catholic, Tom? Yes, I am. Oh, well, then you should have definitely got that. Should have definitely got that. All right, Tom, I appreciate that, though. Hang on. Give uh, Molly your information, and not only will she say a prayer for you, but uh, she will take your information, and she will give you a consolation prize of her choosing. So if you're nice to her, hopefully she'll send you something good. All right. Um, and for, if you didn't get through today, try again tomorrow. We'll, we'll, we'll try tomorrow. Now. This is exciting. I always enjoy my conversations with Dr. Keith Ablo. He's kind enough to come on on a regular basis. He is a best-selling author, a television commentator, and a psychiatrist, and someone who we enjoy the fact that he keeps early hours because we get to take advantage of the fact that it's dark and early. Dr. Ablo, it is great to talk with you again. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Frank. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I want to pick your brain on a few different issues, including the fact that it is Valentine's Day. And if you're single 
on Valentine's Day. You know, sometimes you feel a little lonely. Sometimes you feel a little left out. Do you have any advice in terms of not feeling depressed for people that might not have a date or a husband or a girlfriend or a wife on Valentine's Day? Well, sure. I've all, all kinds of advice. The first thing is you always feel better if you're playing offense, right? And so literally, you get all these dating sites out there. I know they're not everybody's cup of tea. But if you can just take one step forward, maybe you try one of those. Maybe you tell two friends, you know what? I'd really love to meet someone. When you feel isolated and iced out, it's a lot tougher than when you say, you know what, it's Valentine's Day. I think I'm going to take this as my point of departure to begin my next effort to find a relationship. That's one thing. Second thing is let the universe do your work for you. You know, it, 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 in addition to taking that step forward, it puts in motion certain gears. You can't force or rush these things. You can do what you can do. But in the end, if you're not with someone right now, that means right now you're not supposed to be. It's mm. okay. Next Valentine's Day, you might be with someone who you've been with for 11 months and can't stand. Think now, of it that way. Yeah. No, I mean, that's uh, certainly good advice. I mean, can you use the fact that you're not in a relationship as maybe a, a wake-up call for self-improvement for things that uh, you need to improve in your own life? Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's uh, something like weight loss. Maybe it's uh, anger management issues. Maybe it's uh, an addiction to anything from uh, from gambling to alcohol to substance abuse. Can you use the fact that, hey, here I am alone again on another Valentine's Day to, as, a, as a sobering wake-up call? Well, sure. If, if you've wanted a relationship for a long time and it's been one Valentine's Day after another, self-reflection is a powerful tool. So you could say to yourself without being, you know, without being uh, down on yourself, if you can say, well, look, maybe there is something in my way. And by the way, maybe it is uh, struggling with weight. Maybe, maybe it is, hey, you know, really, I have never committed to my passion. And so who's going to necessarily be moved by me because I'm not doing what I want to do in life. But it could also be something about your life story. If, you know, because if you come from a background, for instance, where you saw one calamity after another in your family of origin, three broken marriages, whatever it might be, you may think you want a relationship, but you may be giving off all kinds of signals that you really don't. Because you think of it as going home, and home wasn't such a great place. So if somehow you can look at your life story and say, is there anything in my life story that would lead me to put the opposite signal out there? And by the way, one of them might be, well, I say I want to date, but I'm not really trying. Well, why not? Well, if you look in your background, you might find out, well, really the models that I've had for relationships have been very disappointing. If you can then come to grips with that and separate it from your own next chapters in your life story, you don't have to be owned by the past. You can actually own your future, but you have to be able to look at it and say, well, that's not me. I was a kid or I was just an adolescent when my parents went through that eight-year divorce, whatever it might be. If you don't have somebody on Valentine's Day and you say you don't, that you very much want that, 
It might be because you're in your own way. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Keith Ablo. Uh, Keith, you're doing some great work now in terms of consulting people on changing their lives, including some of the issues we're talking about, with something called pain to power. What What is this? What is pain to power? What are you doing with people? So, look, basically, it's exactly what we're talking about. People get in their own way, and they go through some very difficult things. You know, who hasn't had chapters of their life stories that they would say, you know, man, if I could have avoided that, or maybe you're in the middle of it now saying, I can't believe it's Valentine's Day. And yet again, uh, I've found myself alone or I've broken up with someone or I really miss my marriage, whatever it might be. The bottom line is, if you can move from that pain by looking at it, by really understanding your life story to a powerful position, the powerful position comes from that inquiry. It comes from ending the running away from all these events in your life that have been difficult and instead looking at them and say, what can I learn from this? And one of the things you can learn from it is most of the things that we think nearly did us in, they didn't. We need to notice that and say, well, you know, I've been able to survive a lot of things and I'm going to repurpose my talents and my ability to get through things into achieving the next milestone in my life. So pain to power is basically the journey of saying, let me not run from anything. I'm going to turn around, I'm going to face it, I'm going to learn what I can from it, and I don't think my story's over. I'm going on to the next page, the next chapter, and it's going to be a good story in the end. It's sort of like when you go to a movie. I always tell people this. Who gets up in the middle of a film because the main character's in trouble and leaves. Can you imagine? Tom Cruise is in a mess of trouble. I think we should get out of here. There's no way he's going to be able to make it through. No, nobody does that. The only time we do that is in our own lives. Nobody should walk out on their own life story, their own film of their existence. You can write the next scene. First, you have to imagine it, and it has to be true to you. And so that's the pain to power formula. That's what I do with people. Well, it's terrific. And if people want to learn more about what you're doing or take advantage of your services, they can go to the website pain2power.com. That's pain-2-power.com. A whole world opens up if you go there. Now, uh, on a very sad note, whether it's winter, whether it's Valentine's Day or anything else, is what we've been seeing in terms of the issue of suicide being thrust into the national spotlight. Uh, Jeremy Jombi, we remember him well um, in, in the New York area, um, a, a baseball player with the Royals, the Athletics, the Phillies, the Red Sox, and the brother of New York Yankee Jason Giambi, kills himself at the age of 47. And then this is just a couple of weeks after Chelsea, Chelsea Christ, Chesley Christ, a former Miss USA, dies at 30 years old after killing herself. Now, I think a lot of people might look at these stories and see these two people very attractive, uh, fairly well to do, um, both very talented in their professions, both incredibly well known, wealthy, famous, young seemingly healthy, seems like they had everything going for them. 
Why would people like this turn to suicide, Dr. Alblow? Well, one thing it tells us, Frank, is no one's immune to depression or suicide. And people have demons that aren't visible to cameras. They aren't visible to the paparazzi. They're not visible to fans. And depression, I like to say that depression should be thought of as a psychotic illness. It's not just an illness of mood. The reason for that is it literally deprives you of rational thought. You know, if you were rational, you'd say, look, I can't possibly predict next month. I can't predict tomorrow, let alone next month. Things can't possibly be as dark and without exit, you would say, if not uh, for an assault on your rational thought by depression. You'd say, I I can't predict, so I'm going to stick it out. Unfortunately, depression commandeers that ability to see the future. It commandeers your ability to say, uh, I have some stress in my life or Uh, I have certain anxieties that are rising up from the past. But that doesn't mean that with the proper help or passage of time that things won't get better next week, next month. Maybe it'll take six months. It takes that away. It takes you out of the driver's seat of your own existence and makes you think that someone else is driving and is going to crash. Okay? That's the feeling of terrible anxiety or terrible depression. I tell people, listen, you have one job now. It's to separate yourself from that voice, if you will, that set of thoughts that is lying to you and telling you that your life is airless and without exit. It's a bunch of lies. You have to think of it as a third party and say, look, my one job now that I'm in this darkness is today I'm not doing anything to leave the planet. Tomorrow will take care of itself. I like the one day at a time philosophy for people going through depression, just like alcoholism. You might be in a unique position to answer the question that I'm about to ask because you are very well known and have been well known for a long time, having been on TV, having had your own show, have been a best-selling author, having been on some of the most listened-to radio shows in the country for a long time, and then through, you know, like a lot of people do, going through sort of a tough time, but in your case, going through that tough time in the public eye, are there times when it's more difficult being a celebrity going through a difficult time? Because unlike Joe Blow down the block, you don't get to go through that tough tough time through the cloak of anonymity you have to go through that tough time with the whole world essentially watching you and by the way having no qualms about letting you know how they feel about you on social media during that time (laughs) are there times when it's more difficult to be a well-known a famous person a celebrity like a jeremy giambi or like a miss christ sure uh, yes. And this isn't whining because of being a well-known person, which, you know, a lot of people would like it. And, and there are wonderful elements of it. And you get to go on the Frank Verano show if you're lucky enough. Right. So the height, anytime, of, anytime. the height of my day. All right. Well, there you go. But yes, it is for two reasons. One is it exposes you to a lot of variables you might not otherwise be exposed to. So you have this megaphone shouting back at you. So as you said, when I went through the tough times I did, um, it was 
going through the tough times with headlines, front page headlines. And so you think to yourself, whoa, my kids are seeing this, et cetera, et cetera. And it can weigh, obviously, you'd have to be a sociopath for it not to weigh on you. The other thing uh, is that fame is very seductive. We're here on Valentine's Day. It's easy to fall in love with your public face. Now, this isn't just true, by the way, for celebrities. This is true for everybody. The way you're thought of in a community or at work or in your family, when that shifts or you feel like it could shift, it can feel like you're losing everything because we affiliate so much with the face we present to the world. It's accelerated and it's, it's it much more um, intense for a celebrity but it's true for everyone. What I want people to focus on is, listen, in the end, your core is what matters. So these things that swirl around you truly are swirling around you. And it comes down in the end to saying, am I going to give in or am, am I going to double down? And by the way, that's where this whole pain to power idea came from. You can... You can emerge from anything as long as you don't cash in your chips, mm. as long as you don't believe that all is lost. And this has all kinds of religious, obviously, importance, right? All of us are subject to uh, losing elements of ourselves. And then, you know what? All of us have the capacity for resurrection. We can be, in a sense, reborn. But you have to decide, you know what, I'm being purified by this. These things that are unfolding around me, what do they mean? You should say to yourself, almost like with curiosity, interesting. The DEA is raiding my office. I said to myself, who wants coffee? <laughs> I, I did say that to the guys. They said, Doc, we, can't, we cannot accept coffee. I said, that's very sad in a way. Right? I mean, because if you look at things as like swirling around you, then you say, look, people have been uh, tragically in concentration camps. There are people getting up today who have to take their kids to hospitals for chemotherapy. Okay. And I've always had this handy line since I had kids. I keep this line like in my back pocket. My kids are adults now, but I used to say to myself, if a deal didn't go through, or I had a bad headline, I would say to myself, yeah, well, you're not a pediatrician. Okay, because I knew what would crush me, right? What would make me clear my desk and say, stop all calls, I am unavailable. One call from the pediatrician, God forbid. Keith, where are you? I'm in my office. Can you come by? Why? Well, I saw your son today. Okay, nothing matters then. The DEA, I'd be like, guys, have at it for three days if you want. My kid, he's over two miles away. I got to go. That's perspective. Mm. And folks, you know, by the way, Frank, there's probably someone listening right now who has thought or is thinking, is it worth going on? The answer is you better believe it, buddy. Is it worth going on? Tomorrow, it could be a whole new set of circumstances. You don't know. No, it's uh, very true. And, you know, one group that has really struggled with 
uh, suicide and uh, they are even worse off than celebrities is uh, our country's veterans. You know, it gets uh, people, I think, know this statistic, but there's about 22 veterans a day that kill themselves, that take their own lives. And uh, if you look at the number of people that have taken their own life after serving in the military since September 11th, it's far, far more than the number of people that have died in all the wars since September 11th. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, we talked about this uh, this group on this show called the Gold Shield, which is a membership organization uh, which is dedicated to stamping out veteran suicide. People can learn more about that group by going to the simple truth dot us. But you have actually formed a uh, a charity, a 501c3 dedicated to preventing veteran suicide. It's called Help 22. Tell me what was the uh, what was the uh, motivation for you to start this group, Help 22? It's exactly what you said, Frank. Uh, a couple of things. Number one, it seemed to me to be a horrible tragedy. Here are people who've gone to war for this country who are now uh, facing another war, and it's taking their lives. 22 approximately, others they say 20, some say more, veterans taking their lives a day. So I teamed up with Commander Kirk Lippold. The commander was the commander of the USS Cole when the USS Cole was attacked by Al-Qaeda. He saw horrible things and lived through them and, and acted heroically in those moments. But he knows what kind of an impact those experiences can have on our veteran population. So I just thought, man, this, is, this can't stand. So I started help22.org. I said, well, what can we do? How about on the 22nd of every month, if we impart to as many people as want it for free from social workers and counselors and life coaches and psychiatrists and psychologists, a very clear message that we're going to ask them to fight another war. If they thought their service was done, it isn't. The second war is we need you to stay on the planet with us. Mm. We need you every day to get up and say, I'm not giving up. Because that's what they did for us in war. Now they've got to do it for us again and for themselves. Well, it's, and if we can take this one day at a time philosophy, that's what we want to impart to them. Well, that is just wonderful. And whatever people think of uh, me, whatever they think of Keith Ablow, uh, this is something that, in my view is a national tragedy that the whole country should be united on. So I hope people go to help22.org. That's help, the number 22.org, and look into this organization, look into how they can help uh, reduce, or if not put an end, to veteran suicide. Dr. Abloh, it is always a treat to talk with you. I'll look forward to the next time you join us dark and early. All right, pal. I'll be here. Talk right. to you soon. Thank you, Thank Dr. You. Keith Abloh. Hey, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in a minute, but... We were doing the $1,000 Minute 20 minutes ago, and we were talking to Tom, and um, then he guessed. I, my question was, who was the last Catholic, who was the last pope to be made a saint? And Tom answered, Pope John. Now, I said, and I stand by this, that that was incorrect, that it was not Pope John, because he got John the 23rd. John whomever, I said it was John Paul II. Well, I received an SMS text message from our owner, John Katsimatidis, at that point, who says, 
I think that guy got screwed with Pope John. I said, really? John's a fair guy and a smart guy. And ultimately, look, this is all his money. And so he says, yes, let him come back another day. Your listeners probably agree with me. So, Tom, I have been overruled by our owner, John Katsimatidis. So what we want to do is we're going to invite you back tomorrow to play the $1,000 Minute again tomorrow. Uh, I think that's fantastic. The Catman uh, cat is always uh, fair and reasonable. All right. So, so you, you're, you're, you feel good about this. We'll have a, a, a kosher contest here tomorrow. We'll, we'll all be good. I, I can't wait. I, uh, I'm going to go to sleep now just to make sure I'm up bright and early. What, wonderful. Well, if I were you, I'd be studying. Between now and tomorrow for the next 24 hours. All right, Tom. So, so good. You feel, you, you feel good about this. You don't feel cheated at all that you're going to have another opportunity. I, I actually didn't feel cheated before, but, uh, but it was a, it's a privilege to talk to you. My friend. All right. Well, likewise, Tom, and uh, best to everybody over there in, in your world. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, something tells me his Valentine's Day, uh, Valentine is an awfully lucky person. All right. Uh, 15 seconds of fame next. You want to be heard? Any subject, 800-848-WABC. As it stands now, Curtis has still not refunded that person's $2,000. Stuart, I'm trying. 800-848-9222. 15 seconds of fame. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Very quickly, let's say hello to Peter in Stroudsburg. Hey, Frank, uh, listen, please forgive me for being out of the loop, uh, but I was away for a couple of weeks, and I'm just concerned. Uh, did Joe Nolan retire, or is Joe okay? Uh, I haven't heard him since I've been back. Yeah, I, I don't know what the deal is. I think uh, I heard a rumor he might be coming back. I'm going to call him this week. I'll see if I can find out what the story is. Evelyn is in Bayonne. Frank, I'm getting very tired of hearing Curtis um, bullying you on radio. I'm going to write a letter, as a matter of fact. And um, I think that shower gift was a result of that woman holding a grudge. And um, I just, um, I'm one of the 63 percenters. Thank you, Evelyn. Got to leave it there. Finally, Eddie in Nassau, very quickly. Democratic Party, undoubtedly the enemies of life, liberty, and your pursuit of happiness. Thank you, Eddie. Hey, that slams late on things for today. Stay tuned for the WABC Early News. Be back at 1 a.m. Frank Morano, good day. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.